Hey guys, Mason coming here in front of the show uh, real quick. Um, cops and protesters clashed uh, over the weekend in Chicago on uh, Friday night, Friday late afternoon, and uh, a lot of folks got arrested. Um, so I'd just like to encourage folks to donate to the Chicago Bail Fund, um, particularly also um, artist and activist um, Mohawk Johnson. The media is doing their job to really demonize this guy for um, uh, basically protecting his community, protecting the protesters after, um, from the footage I saw, cops escalated the situation. And uh, Mohawk still, as far as I'm aware, um, in jail, so uh, there's a change.org petition excuse me, to um, get him out. There's um, bail funds uh, for other monetary support, so hopefully you guys can um, I don't know, that's there in the show notes if you are available to um, give your support in, in those ways. Alright, Black Lives Matter, let's get on with the show. Got a bad podcast. We talk albums and we talk movies and things that are underrated. Wanna thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. It's on the list with Noah Mason. We're fun guys like Peter Griffin. Make a show for you. Wanna thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening. Listen to our rants. Listen to our raves. Okay. Listen to our songs. Listen to our takes. Takes. Listen to our great bits. Great bits. Listen to our 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 recommendations. Cause I wanna make you see. A new good movie. This podcast, podcast, good podcast, podcast. We're gonna have a fun discussion. Give it to me. Really fucking evil, bro. That is so fucking evil. I've been vibing that song recently. You, you. When was the last time you heard the song "Brass and Pocket" by the Pretenders? Bro, I, I don't listen to Brass and Pocket by the Pretenders. Sorry, you're really missing out. You know what? If that's if that's been, I've been listening to that song almost every day, and I gotta say, I have noticed nothing but increases in my mental health in general demeanor. Well, you know what uh, so, doesn't mm-hmm. increase my mental health and demeanor is doing the talking this with me and doing this podcast. podcast. <laughs> so, what's good? What's good for the uh, what's good for the goose isn't always good for the gander, uh, so to speak. I know our guest really liked that one. She is freaking out. Uh, she loves it. Can't read lips, unfortunately. <laughs> so why don't we just why don't, why don't we just say what we're doing here, folks? This is the uh, it's, it's on, on the, the list. list podcast. This is the podcast about underrated media, movies, and more. I was thinking about the title of the show, and I think it should be "It's on the List: Colon the Podcast About Underrated Movies, Media, Dot Dot Dot, and More." I think that should be the full title of the podcast. Okay, I've pretty I much can said update on that. the 
I can update this. I did just update it so it's easier to find. I feel we changed it instead of it's on the list podcast on directories to it's on the list with Noah and Mason. But if that's what you want to change it to, I can put the rest of that bullshit and it's going to be basically Dr. Strangelove. You're going to go to the podcast ticket booth and be like, oh, can I get one ticket to uh, it's on the list or a discussion about underrated music, media, movies, dot, 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 and more with Noah and Mason. I think that that's a, a good name for the show. All right. I'm going to introduce the guest. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Our guest today is returning to the pod. She is a writer and director whose web series, Playhouse of Cards, oh, can be seen on YouTube. She's also directed spots for Fujifilm, Marshmallow, and oh. Amazon Prime, just to name a few. And she's a comedian, believe it or not, uh, despite what you may think, yes. who can be seen performing <laughs> solo or with her sketch team, The Matriarchy, uh, not probably until the year like 2024 when we've all taken some sort of pill. Uh, mm-hmm. That means we'll get COVID but won't die from it. Mm-hmm. But until then, <laughs> you can watch her sketches on the Matriarchy YouTube page, which we will link in the description below. Mason and I both knew her independently of each other, which was actually a shock to find out. I think we literally did spit takes into our mouths, into each other's mouths when we found we that did. out. We did. Um, it, I think you were you were doing weird stuff. You had like a suicide going. You were like doing Dr. Pepper and like Fanta and it was fucked up. Uh, and we <laughs> were, <laughs> and we are ecstatic to have her before. We were ecstatic to have her before. Now, not so much because we're delighted to have her now. Uh, please welcome back <laughs> to the show the one, the only Nina Kramer. Hi, Whoa. Nina. Uh, boys, boys, boys. Let me ask you, how's everyone's nightmare going? <laughs> oh. Yes. Okay. Yes. Oh my Woo. God. Okay. You How really about? are that bitch. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Love that. Okay. Yeah. My nightmare. Pretty crazy. Not really getting through it without some fucking cups of coffee. If you know what I'm saying. Mason, how about you? <laughs> I'm chilling, man. I am. I am uh, living my best COVID life. You know, last time that I saw Nina, uh, <sighs> it was very shortly. Yeah. Actually, this is kind of a momentous day. We recorded this episode in season one, the first Nina Mm -hmm. Kramer episode, in my very sweaty, small apartment in the middle of Los Angeles. I loved it. It was so charming. (laughs) I'm I'm glad. Uh, But I had to eventually leave from the cat ranch. The day that we recorded that, I'm remembering this now, I had to jet the fuck out of there and get to DTLA because I had an interview for a temp job. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And... At that job was when I decided I was going to move back to L.A. So it's uh, in some sort of roundabout way. Nina Kramer is involved, is uh, directly responsible for this uh, <laughs> tremendous life choice that I made for myself. You got to go And home. I have to say, you know what? It's really been, there's been ups, there's been downs on this journey, but it's been ultimately a pleasant and a rewarding journey despite this COVID stuff. So I just have to say... Thank you so much, Nina. And thank you for yeah. being back and coming back on the show. You know, it's I tend to have that effect on people. So I'm glad it worked out for you, Mace. I'm glad that you're settling down and you're back in our, you know, the city that started it all for the two of us. It is nuts to me that you guys definitely met each other independently. Like, not because I know you both and I'm like, well, I should have introduced you. But it is, it was a shock to my system to be asked to be on a show with two people I knew independently of each other and could not see how you guys could intersect, but was not surprised to find out that you did. 
Yeah, we're uh, we're a great team. <laughs> <laughs> we are. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm we're you a, a high great five team. To- uh, I'm thinking we're a great team. Yeah, I'm uh, thinking it's. I'm thinking be a we're team. friends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking we're friends. Yeah, that's really a good John Wick impression. And I was thinking about that, uh, the fact that you decided you were going to move back to Chicago after that Nina episode, because I agree that Nina has the same effect on me whenever I see her. I want to get as far away as possible. So. <laughs> All right. Well, wow. nice. you yeah. see what's going on here. Noah's in love with me. You see that? Yes. Crazy. (laughs) Crazy. Textbook, textbook running away (laughs) from the woman who, I don't know. I literally haven't done bits in (laughs) months. When Harry met Sally, how about when Nina met Nina? Nina? (laughs) Well, we talked about it. (laughs) We talked about it on the last uh, time you were on, but I met Nina. Literally, just I when I when I met her, it was like I walked into a rehearsal for a short film, and I literally was like, "This girl does not go to school with me." Like that's what I thought. <laughs> I was like, "This girl does not." I hate this. I don't know who that is. She does not go to school with me. But um, we're best friends now, so that's very cool. We are. And she's it's one well, of the first we're people, close friends. She's one of the first people that she texted when her hair changed. So uh, that was nice. That was that was always nice to get that update first. I consulted. Oh my god! I really though. I mean, I haven't done bits or been in this mind space of like <laughs> banter in probably my. I mean, yes and no, but really, like, I have not been in this headspace. It feels so good to be talking to funny, fun people. <laughs> I would agree. I, I think it is we, fun to talk yeah. to funny, fun people. That is why every time that we start the podcast, I give Mason a big kiss and I go, Mwah, thank you. Yes. Yeah. And then he immediately <laughs> retracts that. He makes a big old slurping motion. <laughs> 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 I take it back. <laughs> uh, but no, this is a fun podcast. I'm, I'm, it's, so this fun. Is, it's a fun thing to do. I, I, we have a fun show. I think we tr- like. It's nice to just have uh, a respite in the week when I am not, uh, like, you know, either working and I can just, like, kind of just do something fun and funny uh, as best as you can during this scenario. It's been something that I've been... We are actually coming up. I think that this... uh, It's not when the first episode drops. It's not going to be our official first anniversary, but we are coming up on the first recording anniversary of the show. Very Rad. Um, You know what? We had... Actually, it was yesterday. Yesterday, as no of this shit. Was it really? Yeah, as of this recording, it would. The yesterday was the first time that Mason and I recorded an episode of this show, and the first time we ever met in person. It was the same day. You're kidding me? <laughs> no, that was uh, that was a big. I feel like that was a big. Uh, a big plot line in our first handful of episodes is just explaining to people how Noah and I know each other and how this is the <laughs> char- this podcast is the <laughs> is the document your of our friendship. friendship and us getting to le- uh, know each other. Yeah, basically. Nina, I am curious. What has your like core? I know this is like such a shitty like interviewee question, sure. but like how how what has your like quarantine uh, like lifestyle been? Like how has it changed or has it changed? No, it's uh, well, a couple things. I live alone, so um, it's been pretty chill. I grew up spending a lot of time alone, so when it all kind of stopped and came crashing down, I was like, "Oh, this feels normal," um, and it doesn't bother me. Like I, <laughs> right. I like it sure. now. Yeah, <laughs> but now I'm getting a little stir crazy, um, and I just I miss 
the arts. I miss, I just miss shows. I miss doing shows and hosting shows and music yeah. and community events and things like that. I miss going out and, um, I think something in quarantine I've realized that I've always felt like an old person, but in quarantine I've been like, Oh my God, I'm fucking young and I haven't done anything to feel young. And I'm so excited to like kick in all the doors right. and be like mm-hmm. young. But, um, right around <laughs> when quarantine started, I actually made, um, right before quarantine started, I made kind of the switch, not from directing. I'm still obviously a director, but like I wanted to write a TV show and my team was kind of pushing me in that direction. So I spent the first like, three months of quarantine, four months of quarantine, writing a TV show and a Bible and everything, and then spent the last two months taking it out and, like, pitching it and stuff. So it's been fun and busy in a different way that I I haven't engaged with before, but I love it, and I think TV writing for TV is something I really love and made me feel really creatively fulfilled. So I had a project work-wise that I was working on kind of day in and day out uh, in a really fun way, so... It's been okay. It's really, it's been okay adapting to it. It's been okay learning a lot of different lessons here and there, I think, as we all are. But I'm also, this is like so silly, but I grew up with a terrible fear of people getting sick. Like, wouldn't go to school, was Mm. terrified of like flu season. Like, I'm talking second grade to sophomore year of college. Like, every, and I kept it really under wraps. Oh my God. Really bad. Went to therapy for it, everything. And I had to quell it because every flu season that would come around, I'd be like, oh, fuck, like panic attacks. Like, I can't go to school. I don't want to touch anything. People would be like, well, share your drink. And I'd be like, no, I don't want to do that. And people would be like, you're such a fucking loser or whatever. And I'd be like, "Uh, no, I like don't want to get sick. And now everyone is like, oh, I don't want to. And I'm kidding, obviously, because COVID is very serious. But like (laughs) for whatever reason, for whatever reason, it's like those years of trauma of being afraid of getting sick prepared me for this where I've been totally fine. Like I haven't had anxiety. I haven't had panic. Wow. Like it's How like the opposite effect where I was like, oh, I've literally been training for this for, you know, oh, probably 15 years and I just feel fine. And like, I was like, oh, we'll be fine. Like you guys will go through it. You're all going through it for the first time where you're like scared to get sick. <laughs> like you guys are... Amateurs, amateurs at the, at the paranoia of being sick. I'm like, yeah, we should have had safeguards when we were ordering coffee. What are you talking about? Like it all, it's like my, my dream come true to have like sanitation in every corner of every place. I really, really, really want like once post pandemic, the two things that I want to stay in place. Mm-hmm. One is masks because I think masks are really cool and sexy. Oh my god! Just seeing this part of someone's face at the like, just yeah. like looking into their whatever eyes, I see a mask, I'm really like, cool. yeah, that's sexy. Holy shit! Yeah, Take dude, I think it's pretty tight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other thing that I want to uh, the other thing that I want to stick around is maintaining a safe social distance at the grocery store. I do not want people <laughs> up on me um, when I go to the Walgreens anymore. I want there to be people just always six feet apart for me when I go to. Walgreens and check out uh, after pandemic, and I really hope that that um, sticks. That's incredible, Nina. I'm very proud of you and your the work that you've done <laughs> Thanks, so far you. during pandemic. 
and also the work that you did to prepare yourself for <laughs> pandemic that you did the real work you were doing. Yeah. <laughs> the real work. Yeah. I'm sorry. Are you, I don't, yeah. I, you're, are you talking to well. someone named Nina? All I see are two people in the chat named Mason jar and moon sand. So, uh, <laughs> not really sure who Nina is. I can't tell which one is which, but, um, enough, enough, enough of this bullshit. Okay. Just enough. You guys, I try and, you know, run this pod like in a little fun way. We talk, you know, it's fun or whatever, but I know I want to talk about music and movies now. Can we do that? Okay. You are falling apart. If you wish, sir, if you wish. <laughs> yeah, I am falling apart. I'm a fucking mess. Um, this is a two guest choice this week. We have a not even a full-length album, it's an EP uh, and a feature-length film from our guest this week. The yeah. EP is literally mere, I think by the time this comes out, it might be a full two months old, but it's not even two months old yet. It's only mm -hmm. been out into the world for like a month and a half. Mm -hmm. And it is, of course, I'm Allergic to Dogs by Remy Wolf. Uh, claps, 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 obviously. Claps, so claps, fun. Claps. I can't wait to hear your thoughts. I literally cannot Nina. wait. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I want to hear. I want to hear from you first. Uh, actually, I have a theory that I want to run by you, and you have to tell me if this is true or not. Hit me with it, baby. So I'm doing a little research on our girl Remy Wolf. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She's a Bay Area transplant, but she had been living in LA for seven or so years, is what it said on the articles that I was reading. Mm -hmm. um, she graduated from USC in 2018. So Nina. Do you know Remy Wolf personally? Is this a personal connect? So here's, here's the thing. At um, USC, I was friends with a lot of musicians and still very good friends with them because, as you guys know, I put on this kind of music and comedy show in L.A. And it's a really tight community, and the Thornton kids are extraordinarily talented. Um, most of them drop out because they're so good that they're just like, right. we want to go do our thing. Um, I never met... Remy. I never met her. Mm. And actually it's funny because we do overlap in a lot of ways and we have a ton of friends in common, but I didn't know about her until a month ago. Like I had a friend send me a song maybe a few months ago and I was like, Oh, I really like this. But you know, she only had singles out at that point, I think. And then when allergic to dogs came out, cause she was supposed to tour with Benny and Benny sings that song super lonely or super lonely. You know, that TikTok song. I think I'm familiar with uh, maybe I think whatever it's really good it's really <laughs> fun it's a really it's it's such a fun song and it was a big like quarantine hit at the very beginning and um so Benny was supposed to go on tour and she's this New Zealand artist and she was gonna have Remy Wolf open for her because they're very similar very fun lyricists and kind of these pop artists that kind of um pull from all these very kind of obvious threads of uh, right. influence. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I had never met her. You know, it actually came up because she lives in the same building as my friend Audrey, I think. And my friend Audrey, I think I was playing mm. her in the car and Audrey's like, this is Remy. She's like my neighbor. And I was like, oh, that's oh, cool. Damn. And then she knows a bunch of people I know. So we've never actually met in person, but it would make sense that you'd have that theory because on all accounts, we should have probably met <laughs> by now, but you know, in the future when there's time. Yeah. And I just, I just like, when the pieces were like forming together for me, I was like, there's a very good chance. Yeah. Nina knows this girl, like the hundred percent. Um, Mason, I have to believe that you just had never heard of this before because I had never heard uh, of this before. And yeah. you and I share all the same opinions. Yeah. And tastes. 
<laughs> as as is well documented on this show, no and I agree on a hundred on every every single every single thing. Uh, no, this is a completely new artist to me, and it was very exciting when you suggested Remy Wolf because I was like, I don't have any idea who this is. I don't know uh, anything about this EP. I don't know what an EP is. I'm very excited to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I, 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 I saw the transcript of Nathan's text. Every person is contact. Hey, just checking in. What's an EP? Just to every single person. Are you for real? No, I, 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 I am familiar with the concept of an extended play. That was Whoa. just a little funny haha joke. But that's Remy. That's, all to say, Remy Wolf new to me uh, for this podcast. Same, yeah, absolutely Remy's, same. She's tight. All right, great show, everybody. Uh, <laughs> this has been. It's on the list. <laughs> yeah, you can check out the show at. Uh, no, this is this is a uh, this is a brand new thing for Mason and I. I'd never heard of Remy Wolf prior to this. Uh, I'm very glad that Nina brought her into my life in our little group text that we had when we were trying to get this show together. Uh, I purposely omitted information that Nina really wanted, which is, what is your favorite song off this EP? Uh, which I will not reveal yet. I'm still not going to mm-hmm. reveal it because I have a consummate little, host a little, a little, a little bit later. I have a little thing for us to do regarding this album. Cause I found another cool little article, uh, where Remy actually speaks to each track <gasps> on Fun. the EP. So we can Very sort cool. of go through that there, but, uh, oh, cool. Can I ask you, Nina, what were your first impressions when you heard I'm allergic to dogs for the first time? What were some of those big buzzwords or those big ideas that were going through your head? I think every song on this EP is good. Like cover to cover bangers. But what I love about it is every song is so different. Like they totally, it is not, she has a sound and she, I think it's her voice and her cadence and her, kind of a way of singing, rapping, however you want to kind of categorize it. But um, I think she's right on that line too. Like, Oh uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that's really, that's really cool. Um, but keep going, you know? Yeah, no. I, and I, so when I heard down the line, cause I, I was like, I'm going to just listen to this EP and down the line is the first song on the, on the EP. And it just is sonically so good, melodically yeah. so good and lyrically so fun like that's that's the one thing about this album i love and appreciate and there is kind of this movement i think uh and music towards this which is like really fun lyricism and obviously like hip-hop and rap has always had their finger on the pulse of fun hi mom um but hi mom (laughs) she can't hear you what's up mom hi how's it going (laughs) yeah no very cool (laughs) um but yeah i I mean, there's just a levity to her performance and it feels so like impulsive and kind of improvised where I'm just like, I believe this girl is just having fun and is, I don't, I don't know. It's really, I, I've been trying to think about it because I obviously knew I was going to come on the show and, and talk about it, but there's part of the re, part of the reason I love this album is because I can't put my finger really on what that X factor is. And I think that's a good thing where I'm like, I just really respond to it where I'm like, yeah, I get it in my bones. I get it. I think that I'm on the same page as you with this because, um, I really just, the first time that I listened to it and then with each subsequent re-listen, cause, uh, 
it, this is a, a really easy album to, I'll just say, take, you know? Yep. And it's because it's 16 minutes long, basically. It's mm-hmm. five tracks. But just the energy and how vibrant every single song is on here mm-hmm. and how it's not... Um, and they're distinct songs, too, you know? It's not like everything's kind of samey, um, but they do all come from the same voice, like you were saying, uh, and it's a voice that I think is really, really exciting and is really um, kind. It, it's really exciting. Vibrant was the other word I, I, I used earlier. Um, and it was just a really cool uh, listen that I just, it, it kind of begs you to just put it on repeat. Like oh. as soon as it's ended, just start right from the beginning again. And you just have to restart it. And you're like, I don't care, man. Like I am vibing. I am feeling like, good and cool she has this i think the x factor here um for me uh is just like her sense of swagger that she has yeah like her very specific like remy wolf swagger uh and swagger Mm -hmm. i think is a thing especially with musicians that can be um so artificial and musicians can definitely try to um adopt uh like that as their identity but it ends up feeling so hollow here like she just has such a um, confidence in her, just mm-hmm. I think herself, really, which is the other thing that I really respond well, to. Well, she's like... Uh, that makes it... Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, she's so creative. And I, a lot of what I appreciated the first time I listened to through it, or to it, or in the through it or whatever, I, um, I didn't know where it was going. Like, she will change, she'll pitch True. shift, she'll just drop yeah. in new sound effects. <laughs> I was just like, holy shit, I don't know what or where the song is going to go. And it made me love the songs even more because I felt like I was in kind of on the joke or like the secret of the song. So when the song would replay or I listened to it again and again, I knew where she was going and I like felt a part of it. I don't know if that's part of it too. Sorry, Mason. I didn't mean to cut you off. I totally, it skipped on the zoom. You're and I totally you stopped, fine. But... No, I think you made a, I think you made a good point. Uh, it's you're, you're totally fine. Cut me off all you want this podcast. <laughs> otherwise I'll just keep going. Uh, please cut him off. Yeah. I think no. That, I think it's your turn to share I about so. how you feel about this album. So. Are you holding an avocado, by the way, Mason? Is that an avocado you got in your hands, or no? Is that this is the this is the case for my Raycon earbuds. Oh, yeah. well. where, do you, where do you keep them inside of an avocado, though? So yeah, that's really uh, kind of fucking I think, freak. I what a what a freak! Yeah, Absolute you telling freak. me? I do a, I do a podcast with him. You should try doing a podcast with this guy. Um, no, I think that everything you guys are saying, everything you guys are saying, is totally on point. Um, the it almost makes you have to pay attention, yep. because everything is mm-hmm. so different. You can't just be lulled into it. Which there mm-hmm. is some music where if you're just sort of lulled into it and you're going into a trance, it's more effective. A lot of the time, like stuff that's nonverbal, I feel like I feel that way about. But mm-hmm. with this, it was like, okay, you know, first we're going jazz, and then we're going fusion and then we're going straight up rock in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways as far as like her persona is concerned it kind of reminded me of oliver tree i don't know if you guys are familiar with oliver tree at all um it she's got a little bit more like uh earnestness i guess than oliver tree does oliver tree's a little bit of a a little bit of a troll a little bit of a memester uh with his online persona and stuff whereas she feels like she's a little bit more like spunky and a little bit more 
just really trying to like give you a good song. Whereas Oliver Tree, it's like you're looking at how he's dressed and how he's dressed versus how the voice is versus what the song is actually about. Um, I heard a couple specific uh, influences here. I don't know if you guys Hit are it. familiar with some of these, but I heard big time Caro Caro Benito vibes. From I don't this. know who that is. Mace, you know who those guys are, those those uh, people are, don't you? A little bit, yeah. I I, I like that comparison there. Uh, I was going to say that I think that there's... Uh, do you have more influences? Because there's one reference in one of these songs that I really liked. Yeah, the other one that I found, like, almost weirdly... Like, it almost was like the invocation of, like, a spirit or a muse of this person. Because this person, I don't think, had, like, a huge, um, like amazingly long like path to or not a path to success but like a period where they were super successful but i also felt big time mia vibes paper yeah. planes and mm-hmm. all that definitely shit. heard mia yeah yeah definitely yeah. heard That's mia a- there i thought that there was a little bit uh so in hello 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 and the bridge mm-hmm. where she goes mm-hmm. star flower and coffee you can put her in the pocket i got very excited because there is a prince song off of sign of the times called starfish and coffee mm-hmm. um and prince sang that uh, on the Muppets in the 90s. Hell yes. Uh, and there was little little starfish there. Uh, so I heard a little Prince too, I think. Oh, yeah. And Prince is another artist that I that I love and has, I think you could describe, has their own individual swagger. Uh, and yep. I miss Prince, so it's very nice to hear <laughs> something back. <laughs> you know, this is like <laughs> such a dumb side, an, an aside that you can totally cut this out. But you know who told me <laughs> that Prince died was Mason? Who? who? Oh, I don't know who? if you'll, did you ever do comedy studies? All my friends were com- were in comedy studies. Oh, okay. Well, this might not hit for you, but I was in movement class at comedy studies at, at Second City, and we're laying in the dark on these, like, blue pads, and um, my teacher, Dean, you know Dean? I'm aware of Dean. I saw Dean do comedy at the, at the ice cream joint. I know who Dean is. Dean turns to me, and he just whispers, and he goes, Prince died. And I'm like, what the fuck? Oh, <laughs> I was like, and my friend Eric, my friend Eric... Uh, Henry, who's uh, awesome and is in Chicago, is the to this day the biggest Prince fan I've ever met in my entire life. And he was in that movement oh, class. God. And I went, oh my God, Eric doesn't know yet. Eric doesn't know yet. <laughs> and I'm going to be here wow. when he finds out that Prince is dead. Like, it was such a trippy thing. But sorry, yeah. I think Remy Wolf uh, definitely takes a few pages from, from Prince or is influenced by Prince. Is there any other um, influences that you heard, Nina, that we didn't touch on that you're like, oh, wow, that sounds exactly like this or sounds kind of like that? Um, no, Prince is a really big one. It's so unique to me, but it is also familiar. That's why this EP to me is such a mindfuck, and I don't have very many you know, things to wax poetic about because <laughs> I just truly enjoy it, and I, I know why I enjoy it. I love the spontaneity of it, and I believe her... I believe her as an artist. Like, I think that there is kind of this, um, there's this kind of movement towards a performance of sincerity in our modern world, like with media and everything where people are kind of totally. performing sincerity yeah. and, and the better you are at it, the bigger the audience and the more you're able to kind of influence people. Um, <clears throat> but when you can kind of feel it on an artist and I might get dragged for this, but someone like, uh, Harry Styles to me, like I think he's a wonderful musician and I like him a lot. But I think his 
character or the caricature of Harry Styles isn't sincere. Like it doesn't, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Um, I, yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think that that is like, Harry Styles is such a good, um, point of comparison for that guy for, for that very idea. Uh, it's, it's really interesting that for so long, um, the, the kind of the culture was tipped towards like kind of irony and detachment. And now yeah. it's, you're almost like too involved. <clears throat> like that's what the, the hot, like the new hotness is getting really involved in strangers lives, which is like in quarantine kind of makes sense because people are posting more often. And like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I think ultimately I, I like the, the push towards sincerity more, but yeah. I totally agree with you that there is like, now that it's a marketable thing, it makes something like what Remy Wolf is doing where you're just in her personality, basically, for yeah. 15, 16 minutes, however long this EP is. Or, you know, she has more songs, you know. Yeah, she's, Rufus she's is so good. Artist. If you've ever heard yes. Rufus, it's so fucking good. Monte, uh, Monte, Monte Carlo, also, uh-huh. that little single that just dropped. I mean, it, it, it's crazy. <laughs> All of them feel so unique to her and yep. yet so individualized in their own thing. And I was actually mm-hmm. wondering, uh, would you would you join me on a stroll down track by track lane? Where Let's we go track Ooh. by track. <clears throat> yep. Let's do it, baby. Let's do All it. Right. All right. Nina got so excited she didn't even she didn't even know how to react. <laughs> so going I, I down froze. track by track lane. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I like fuck. so I really love this artist and I really love every song on this album and it's so unique and it's so rich the lyricism is amazing i'm such a melodies person i almost never listen to lyrics which like i do sometimes but i really am a melody person in this album i like Mm -hmm. i the both are so strong and she's so deliberate and clear about her lyrics that you can't miss it it's like you guys said like you want to keep up you want to she says one clever thing and you're like, what is this girl going to say? Like, who is this personality? She's an addictive kind of character to follow. So if we're going track by track, let's, you know, scarves to the wind, scarves baby. Scarves to the wind, three sheets to the wind, pissing <laughs> to the wind. Here we go. First track on the EP, down the line. This is what Remy has to say. This is an article from NME. I don't know what NME stands for specifically, but they're a long-running British music journal uh, since probably at least the the 80s. It stands for new music, eh? Oh, oh boy. (laughs) I was going to... My guess was new music England. (laughs) And I was going to say no more England is what I was going to say. Very American Different ideas going on there. (laughs) Yeah, I don't like British comedy, (laughs) which is very well established on this show. Do you really? This is what Remy... I don't like British comedy. <laughs> See, I think we'll give you the British comedy. We'll give you the British. Noah does not like British comedy primer after recording. Sure. Cause it's a, it is, a, there's a, his, there's something of a history there. But oh my Noah God. I can't does wait. Not like British comedy. That Whoa. You're, you're such can, a big established show. Canon. You're, you're such a big fan of the show. I'm surprised you didn't know that off the top of your head. I've anyway. listened to every uh, freaking huh. episode, every freaking single one. And any mention of yeah, the Brits, don't remember. Wow, that's really too bad. <laughs> that sounds like something you might want to talk about with a doctor. <laughs> My memory uh, is so bad, though. I had to go see a neurologist like a year ago to, to get... Oh, I'm um, sorry. I did not mean to, to <laughs> pinch a nerve there. I'm sorry. No, my God, not pinch a nerve. Are you kidding? I literally... It's a, it's comical in my friend group. I, my memory is so bad that one at one point a friend was like, hey, have you ever thought about going to see a neurologist? And I was like, 
Nope. And I almost forgot to go to my appointment. Isn't that the stupidest shit you've ever heard? Yeah, yeah. you said, I've thought about going to a neurologist, but I forgot every time I made the appointment. Sorry, here's what Remy, you know, this is, I would much rather listen to you talk legitimately than either of Mason and I are talking. Uh, Yeah, good time. Here we go. Uh, This, again, this is off NME. The headline of this is Remy Wolf, Inside Her Vivid Tales of Love and Life in Los Angeles. This was published on July 30th, literally so recently, by Charlotte Kroll. So all shout-outs to Remy Wolf and Charlotte Kroll on this. But down the line, the first track on this, this is what Remy has to say. This song is about my inability, but my desire to commit to relationships. It's a really complicated song. I kind of go on a bunch of tangents everywhere. The crux of it is that I can't commit, but maybe, quote, down, down the, the line, line, I could. Yeah. The mm, first verse mm-hmm. is me establishing a high school scene. It's super American, like we're in the bleachers and somebody you hate because they fucked you over walks by. It has this super West Coast energy and it sounds very throwbacky to me. My songwriting was more experimental here. I don't really sing in that high register at the, uh, I don't really sing, normally sing in that high of a register. At the time, I was listening to a lot of Panic at the Disco. That's very interesting, actually. Uh, They're drama kings, and I'm kind of obsessed with that. We were also listening to a lot of Queen and jazz music at the time, Mm -hmm. so I feel like that kind of fed into the song's aesthetics. Nina, what do you have to say about what Miss Wolf just said? Miss Wolf, if you're listening, um, here's what I have to say. I do love the sentiment, and I think I was going through something <clears throat> at the time of this record coming out or the CP that had to do with the sentiment like I didn't, I didn't want to like uh, hurt someone's feelings, and so I kept just being like, "Oh, baby, down the line." Like sure. I love this song mm-hmm. because it like speaks to a very particular um, moment in in my life. But you know what I find really interesting too is like. I love reading about the songwriting process for other artists um, because I have my impression of everything, every line, every lyric, everything, my own story to it. But then to hear like, no, like the first, you know, verse or whatever is about kind of a high school scene set up and you kind of see like the person you don't like walking by and being like, fuck you. Um, I (laughs) love that. Like that changes it for me. I'll listen to it and I'll see what just unfolded in my mind at my own high school and then I'll listen to the song and I'll have like this new fresh meeting. I can't, I'm driving home tomorrow. I can't wait to listen to this album. But that's, I, again, like <laughs> yeah. hot takes out of me. Like Emily King, I can, again, wax poetic all damn day. For some reason, Remy Wolf, I'm like, hell yeah, dude, you wrote a song about not wanting to commit. I relate to that and it's funky and fun. <laughs> hell yeah. Mason, what do you have to, what do you have to say based on what Miss Wolf talked about during Down the Line? Uh, I'm probably nothing that's better than what Nina just said, honestly. Uh, no, I love a song about, like, um, your fear of, we'll just say fear of commitment or a fear yeah. of, um, uh, it just, just being in that very, like, it's a, it's such a delicate human emotion being like, uh, you know, I, I don't know how I feel about this person and I'll deal with these issues down the line. Uh, I, I really like, I think that that's, um, and here's actually the thing with, with the, this music here. I have not gotten to the point where I have like spent a lot of time like diving deep into the lyrics. Cause I just listened to this album and I'm like, fuck, I just want to vibe and just yeah. chill in this, you know? So hearing her talk about that process was really, uh, uh, illuminating. Uh, and I think it's just going to reward, uh, further on re-listen. Noe. How do you feel about what Miss what Miss what Miss what Remy Wolf had to say here? 
I feel great. Caro Caro Benito with more bass and spunk is what I wrote down uh, for Ooh. this one. I think that Caro Caro Benito is oftentimes very gentle uh, in how their music comes across. It's very soft. It's very um, vulnerable in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. Whereas this, I feel like, is <clears throat> also vulnerable, but it's almost it's almost like loud about how it's being vulnerable and expressing those sentiments. We got a couple other songs to get to and a whole movie, so I don't want to spend oh, too yeah, much time sure. on this track specifically. But Moving on, uh, we have the second track on the EP, Woo, uh, and Miss Wolf says, this encapsulates this mania I have a lot of the time, like intense mood swings. I was really in a panic the day I wrote it, and the words came out in 20 minutes. They're all over the place. It felt really good to write and, and release, even if it wasn't even entirely, even if I wasn't entirely sure what the fuck was going on. I didn't exactly know what I was writing, but I knew it, and that felt true. So... There you go. I mean, that kind of speaks for itself, I feel like. I feel like that's that's exactly the uh the vibe there. Uh anything. Yeah, and you know what I think uh knowing that, I think that that uh explains why this is probably my favorite track on this EP. (laughs) That's all I'll say about that, Nina. (laughs) Dude, I have so many it's I've been I've listened to this EP so many times, and I've had moments where there's I've had a um phases with every song where my favorite song will switch. First time I listened to it, Down the Line was my favorite. Totally. And then it was Woo. And then it was Hello. And Hello was huge. Like, I couldn't stop listening to that song. Yeah. I always skipped Photo ID, but it's everybody I know's favorite song on that EP. And then, and then, um, what's the last song? I'm, I'm blanking, Noah. Uh, oh, Disco Man. I fucking Disco Man. love Disco Man. Disco Man. But right now, in my little life... The phase I'm going through is baby photo ID. So it's it's all like it depends on my moods because mm. I'm with you. Like and it makes sense that that's what the song's about and what it's written about and why it's so fun to listen to it because it feels so expressive that I think at a time where I was feeling a little bit more uh rest uh, like restless and uneasy, I really fucked with Woo. Because I was just like, oh, this is how I feel. I feel like I'm like four different people jammed into a three-minute song. And that's like the experience for me on that, on that one. Totally. And it makes a hundred percent sense based on how she wrote it. It all just flew <laughs> out of her at once. Yeah. Mason, any other thoughts on woo? Uh, nope. We can keep moving. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Uh, this, I will just say about woo. It had almost like a Mariah Carey esque nineties backbeat. Yeah. I feel like, which yeah. was very cool. Yeah. Um, and in juxtaposition with how the lyrics are to this, uh, next moving on. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, it's about this man who is living in New York. I'm sorry. Whoa. It's about this man who is living in New York, had a girlfriend there. I think there's a little bit of a typo there. Maybe, uh, on this uh, this article. Hello. Sorry about that. Uh Uh, I hadn't seen him for a long time, but he came out to California and we started a relationship. It was a couple of long months of him being like, quote, I want to be with you but don't know how to break up with my girlfriend. It really sucked. <laughs> the guitar part is bossa nova derived. I yes. wrote it in my house at like 3 a.m. to a YouTube loop that I had found. I had to be really quiet because all my roommates were sleeping and I was literally whispering the melody into my voice memos. That is some DIY shit and we stand. I love this generation. You have no choice but to stand. I love, I like love this generation of musicians. And this is what's so fun about being friends with musicians. Like, my friend Madeline will send me voice memos of songs that she's writing 
and it makes my day because I'm like, oh, this is so stripped away and so raw. And then she'll send me like three months later the mix and mastered version of that song. And I'm just like, you are a god on this planet. <laughs> like to go from this like yeah, like really raw, cool. like here's this melody and like I so many cool moments like that. And to hear like that that's her process right now is so again adds to that sincerity. Again, I don't think she, it's a performance of sincerity. I think she is sincere. And it just makes me like appreciate and love her process. And also my dad was a jazz musician and, and loved Bossa Nova. And so I think there's so much Bossa Nova in, in this song. Um, and I think that's why I had such a huge moment with it. Not to get too weird about it, but like my dad's anniversary, he passed away when I was like 11. I have a dead dad. Um, and he died in July and I like went through a really big phase where I was just like listening to a bunch of jazz. This song made it in every time. Wow. Cause I was just like, how about that? There's something very like, uh, familiar about it. And I think I grew up listening to a lot of, um, uh, Stan Getz and, you know, sure. Astrid. Hell Gilles, yeah. Roberto. Very cool. Yeah. 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 Like my really like my, that's like what my dad would do. He would sing to me, you know, jazz standards and a lot of bossa nova because my mom is south american and um yeah so i think there's something in that song that really strikes a kind of <laughs> trauma chord where i'm like oh i really love this feels familiar feels like home oh <laughs> is that too much that's awesome that is that is very that is like, cool no no not at all that is that is awesome i love uh feels like it was too there, much it is so special when music is able to do that yeah. It feels like it was too much. Yeah, like I brought up my dead dad. Yeah. And it's, I'm totally kidding. I literally could talk what? about this whenever. I'm fucking with you. Holy shit. What are you shit. doing? This, this is my favorite okay, thing to do. I love... You're a big no, bully. I'm fully doing it. My favorite thing to do is to bring up the fact that I have a dead dad to people who are not expecting it because they don't know how to react. And I'm like, I love this. <laughs> Feel free to yeah, cut That's probably that my out. favorite thing that you do as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love when you're always like, yeah, my dead dad. And I'm like, oh, yep, this is, yeah. <laughs> this is my favorite thing you do. This is so cool. Uh, but that's a really nice little story. I don't know if I guess we'll keep it at this point. You guys do whatever. I mean, you guys everybody. do. You cut however you want to cut. Um, Mason, any other thoughts on hello, hello, hello? No, I, I, this is a song. Um, man, I, this is a song that is just perfect for like um, – have it on as you're like taking a power walk down yep. like the street on a sunny day. Like I know that the subject matter is like, I really hate this fucking guy, but you know what? Honestly, sometimes those are the best songs for totally. uh, just going on a cool power walk. That's all I have to say about this. I do like that. She wrote uh, the guitar track to a, youtube loop uh yeah. i'm curious yeah. if it was the youtube loop that we used in our it's on the list goes to rio episode <laughs> probably was. <laughs> probably was. which would be really fucking cool but i really like what she had to say about that noe what do you Bring it home about hello, hello, hello. Shout out to people recording things on their phone. I think Maggie Rogers also did that oh. um, as well. Mm -hmm. And she, that when I did my famous listen to a new album every single day in February, at the time, uh, whatever oh. the name of her album is, I can't remember. What is her name of her album? I can't Leave a Light On, I think. Was that Heard You in a Past Life? 
Heard you in a past uh, life. Heard yeah. you in a past life. Yeah. Yes, yes. That was my favorite album at the time that I was listening to all those different albums. So good. Uh, I would probably put Brave Faces, Everyone by Spanish Love Song as a former album of this show uh, on there. But uh, the only other thing I have to say about Hello, Hello, Hello is that this is where I heard the MIA influence. Yes. Time. It felt like tropical yeah. MIA. I'm on the beach uh, listening to a blended up version of MIA. But moving on, uh, next track, second to last, Photo ID. This is my take on frustration. Everything I say is me being really frustrated at certain things like, <laughs> quote, new week, new sleep, no key, I lost him in the street, and no, I can't see without you. I'm kind of tying that frustration to one person because every line ends in, I can't blank without you. The chorus is the break from that, and it's like, let's go party and get fucked up. It's a dancey jam. I want to go dance to it in the club at some point. And that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, this mm -hmm. is a club banger. Mm -hmm. This one, I think of all the songs on this EP, if any of them had like chart topper potential, yeah. I think this is the one to do it. And um, mm -hmm. I will just say it now. This is my Mercedes Valuable Player of the album, yeah. uh, of course, named after Mercedes Ruel of Married to the Mob. Uh, this is my favorite track on the album. I think this is probably, if I had to just tell someone, if they were like, I don't want to listen to five whole tracks of this, I'm like, all right, bitch, we'll just listen to this one because this is the one. Uh, I thought this one was very cool. I thought this one was very fun. I think it's very funny, and it has an awesome Thundercat-esque bass line yeah. to it that just rocks. Nina, mm -hmm. what do you think? Well, I love that she also does a, I, would you call it a pitch shift where her voice is like higher? Where they like, you know, take I her think, voice and they pitch it up? Yeah, I think that's what it's, I think that's what that technique yeah, is I think called. So. But, um, but I, I love that, like the ex how experimental her voice is in this. I, again, it, it was, I don't know why when I first listened to it, it didn't hit for me, but everybody who listened to this album loved Photo ID. And for me, I was like, down the line just like really strikes a chord with me like woo really fucks me up like uh hello 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 it's like yeah sunny like i would drive through the la canyons like sunsets my i'd be boxing with my friend and always listen to hello because i was like this feels so good but for some reason photo id wasn't catching with me and then one day just flipped it fully flipped and i was Man. just like this is such a jam that like it, it really is one of those songs where i'm like I can't wait to go to a bar or like to a club and like have this song come on and just like fully let it take over because I appreciate it now um, in ways that I just don't know if I could have before uh, sure. for whatever reason. Yeah. But um, that's it's my current uh, obsession song. I think it's on my August playlist now. Hell yes. Mason? Uh, so here are actually the Remy Wolf songs that are on my August playlist. Uh, I'll pull that up while I'm talking about photo ID. Yeah, I'm kind of with... I am in the point at my the point with this song that Nina used to be at. It's not quite hitting for me. I don't dislike it. It still has a heart on my Spotify, but it's not like it's it's not one that I've wanted thought about returning to. Uh, so the three songs that are uh, I have three Remy Wolf songs on my August playlist right now. Damn. One is Woo. The other is Hello Hello, and the third is the Little Dragon remix of Disco Man. Um, oh, wow. yeah, really good remix. I was just listening to her, like the Remy Wolf complete playlist and that mm -hmm. popped up and I'm like, I like little dragon enough and I like this song a lot. Uh, but yeah, but I'm not quite with your guys's enthusiasm on this song. I don't dislike it. It's just, it's for whatever reason, it has not like clicked with me just yet. I think because the pitch shift 
the pitch shift, I think, is um, it's very striking when you're listening to the album for the first yeah. time and each and with each subsequent listen because you're so used to at that point what her voice sounds like that there's suddenly the shift. It doesn't sound bad or anything. It's just it always catches me off guard and it's hard for me to, at this point, really get comfortable with the other songs um, in a way where I can like fully enjoy it on your guys' level. It will. I think it'll bake point, for you. Know, you. I think it'll like, my... again, it like took, it took me two months yeah. to like come around to it. And I think you make a good point of like, I was so used to her as an artist and her kind of existing in the, in my personal zeitgeist of like artists I really love. And I was like, okay, like, uh, yeah, now I'm like warm, this warmed up to w- it. Yeah. Cause I think, Right, because, you know, we're talking about, uh, like, in the first three tracks here, we've talked a lot about influences. And I think with Photo ID, this one does not have an e- as, as easily to define mm-hmm. influence, at least as in with my field of reference here. Mm-hmm. Um, it does sound like, you know, this. It, it does sound like kind of the genesis for, you know, whatever might be coming next with her, which is, like, really exciting. And it'll just probably make this song make more sense down the line. But for right now... Um, it's, it is in August of 2020, it's not clicking with me. Maybe in October, I'll come back on the pod and be like, I was so fucking wrong. Photo ID should get the Nobel prize. Uh, (laughs) but just right now, I'm not quite there on my journey yet. The morning after this podcast recording, the switch was flicked and Mason put photo ID on his August playlist. Now back to the show. I think that, uh, it's interesting because I think I listened to this, this EP, literally like five times in preparation for this because I just couldn't it's turn fu- it off. It's so fucking good. <laughs> and so when fun. I listened to it the f- the first time, Down the Line was definitely my go-to track. Mm-hmm. And then the second or third time, it started to become Hello, Hello, Hello. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until today's listen of it that I was like, oh no, it's photo ID. And I think I only came to that realization mere hours ago. So just goes to show you, uh, you never know what you're going to get when you crack this bad boy open. <laughs> that was so fucking good. Let's talk Disco Last Man. Track. Yeah, exactly. Last track here, Disco Man. So a little bit of a longer, a uh, little bit of a longer quote. So bear with me here. It's primarily inspired by L.A. fuckboys. We were exploring the classic cliches in the writing session. <laughs> Hell yes, sis. Yes. <laughs> in the writing session. We ended up creating a story built around one dude who was just super shitty and annoying, who's focused on his wealth and is kind of fratty, but also hipster. He thinks he's sick as fuck, but actually has no class. And he's a poser. So with the quote, he's like, uh, he likes his movies when they're Tarantino lyric. They're, that's just every fucking dude ever. I love mm-hmm. Tarantino, but it becomes dudes' identities. There's this cool dance party held on Saturdays in Echo Park, and one night I saw these dudes dressed in crazy 70s cowboy outfits. They were so ostentatious and annoying, and my memory of them is the kind of disco man. This song is inspired by a lot of personalities and characters I've met in the crazy music industry and my journey in L.A. meeting all these fucking wild people. And that is that on that from Remy. It's really crazy that uh, she was inspired to write this song after seeing Thomas Sardarian at Dance Yourself Clean. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Thomas Sardarian at Dance Yourself Clean going, going, what? What natal country I ever heard of? They speak English and what? You know, just immediately (laughs) on the dance floor going, it's a royale with cheese. But... uh, Nina, what, what's how, where do you land on Disco Man right I've, now? Where's it sitting with you? I love it. That like thick, fucking bass note at the very beginning just bow. Like I can drop that song and just be like, oh, I'm in it. Like I feel it right away, and I love the opening line. It's one of my favorite lines of all time. He likes his cherries when they maraschino. 
he likes his movies when they Tarantino. And I just like, I feel so terribly white, literally like speaking it phonetically, but like, I really do just like love the, that those lyrics so much. And I don't know why they're so empowering because she is, you can tell by her demeanor and her kind of posturing on this song that she's like, fuck this guy. And right. I know that guy. Oh, I yeah. went to film school. I am in the comedy scene. Like I know that fucking guy. Yeah. So this song for me really is kind of like an anthem for women who are so done with these like uh, highbrow artistic boys who just think they're the shit. Like I, it's I don't know, of, man. Yeah, it's like the danceable version of a song which we covered a couple weeks ago with uh, special guest Mary Moreno, uh, "Ferris Wheel" by Torres. Oh, and if you need a, a refresher, <laughs> what crazy? You need a refresher. Big. All right. Yeah. On the uh, the chorus for that song, it's you hide behind glasses and music and wet. You laugh at yourself and then roll cigarettes. Uh, Definitely, I think there's a generation removed between the Ferris wheel man and the disco we- and the disco man man. Definitely, but they're describing a very similar phenomenon with uh, men in artistic scenes. We will just say that there is uh, definitely guys that show up to those scenes just to be seen in the scene, and they're more or less the same person. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's quite the anthropological. Marvel, um, yeah. if you want to call it a Marvel, I don't know, but it, it's it's uh, this is a, a a danceable song about a guy that just fucking sucks, and you know what? That's cool. We should always we should have more of those. There's a lot of them, but we should have more of them. Uh, that's how I feel about Disco Man. Uh, that's interesting because this is the one that's not quite hitting for me out of all five. Whoa. Interesting. Yeah, this is the one that I'm like not fully on board with yet, but I actually like your guys breakdown of it more and Remy talking about it more than I actually enjoy listening to it. Mm. I don't know if it's a uh, like discrepancy between what the lyrics are and what the beat is that I'm just not into and I'm not like vibing with the beat or I'm not vibing with the lyrics or whatever it is. I haven't really spent enough time to fully figure it out but for whatever reason this song reminds me of like 2000s era radio bops and I don't know why Jojo keeps coming into my head. Do you guys remember Jojo? I see that. Oh man, what was Jojo's song? Um, It was Get Out. Oh, that's right. Mm -hmm. I kind of, I see that. I think, I like your connection that you made there, Chef. That makes sense to me. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's very much that like, oh man, I do remember that era of just, uh, of like just pop singers being really um, it, it just just a lot of like kind of girl power stuff. Totally, uh, this is very much a girl power song. I think uh, this is a girl power EP. This is a song about uh, the fucking the fucking ladies. You'd love to see them. That's, how, that's I think <laughs> it's I think it's also the I want to say the song on the EP that has the lowest BPM. Probably. Would it probably be the slowest one? I mean, maybe. I think so. Yeah. Down the line, it would be this between this and and photo ID. Honestly, I don't know. I think well, it would honest, be. I, I, I think this know. would be the one with the slowest BPM if I'm clocking it right. Um, so maybe that has something to do with it. I mean, it is yeah. it is odd to like have. Well, no, because people end on on slower songs often, but. Yeah, I don't know. As a closer on an EP, maybe it's a little jarring to have a beat the slower jam because it wasn't my first favorite one either and then it again i've had phases with every single song so <laughs> love them all um <laughs> fellas ladies everyone else non-binary folks 
Ooh, we're fun. gonna get into the uh, get into the the Mercedes valuable player here. Uh, I kind of teased it a little bit with who my Mercedes valuable player for this album was. It's definitely got to be right now photo ID. It's the one I think I'm listening to the most. Um, but just her her beats. I love her beats. If I had to give like a like a more general thing here, but uh, Mason, who's your Mercedes valuable player? For this I would, so uh song wise right now this second i think it's probably woo woo um woo. but i would want to give the mercedes valuable player to uh if you guys are watching this on your spot if you are listening to this album on spotify on your phone they have those funny little videos that play yes uh and i think that the i don't you know the, the art uh associated with this remy wolf project so from the so album good. art here this very like kind of glitchy stuff this computer art i don't know what specifically it's called um but there's a very cool uh it, it, it's very very cool and i like it so i think that my mercedes valuable player will be the uh music videos that you can for these the looping videos on spotify uh and then the song woo nina what is your mercedes valuable player for um, Remy Wolf, I'm allergic to dogs. What does that mean? <laughs> Just Good whatever question. you want to highlight your your favorite thing of this EP. Basically, this is a new ish segment that we've that we've um, mm-hmm. premiered. So we are still figuring out. We are still in the training wheels phase of this. I like the idea so can, of like your favorite element of it because I do. I don't know if I could pick a favorite song. I could pick a favorite lyric. I could pick a favorite. They all make me feel so different. I think like tomorrow I will think about putting on photo ID because I'm like, oh yeah, I want to listen to that song. But I've probably listened to Hello the most, but also Down the Line makes me feel the most. Like, I don't know. So I would also pick an avant-garde element of her current live sessions that she's doing uh, to promote the album with her guitarist. She's doing these kind of like live... That's cool. um, Performances. Yeah, and I love, as a director, like, with music videos, I love doing live performance videos. It's my favorite thing. And um, because I love to just watch artists kind of do their thing in, like, a stripped-away way. And it's just been cool to watch her, like, swagger on screen. Like, just to see her in her element, do her thing, hit those notes. She's a, I mean, obviously she's a phenomenal singer, but, like, you know, people do a lot of work on their records to make themselves sound perfect, and she just is that good. And it's just so yeah. fun to hear and see her be playful in that way. So I think that would be my Mercedes Most Valuable Player. Love it. We love that. Mason, you recommend this EP? Full recommend. Listen to it right now. Pause the podcast, listen to the EP, <laughs> listen to it six more times, and then come back for the movie discussion. Uh, yeah. Noe. Yeah, full recommend. Nina, <laughs> do you recommend this? Hell yeah, but here's how I want to recommend it. Okay. It's got to be, ap- if you really want it to hit right the first time, in my opinion, it's got to be after 4 p.m. on a summer day and you're in your car and you have it cranked Whoa. up. Like, okay. you want to catch the fucking wave of how good this <laughs> yeah. EP can make yeah. you feel. Yeah. Don't go on a run at 11 a.m. Don't listen to it at 9 p.m. when the sun is down. Go at like sunset with a fucking friend or two or alone, very empowering album and just cruise for 16 minutes, wherever you're going to in and out to fucking drive around, get out of your house, whatever you have to do, do it at that time of day. It hits differently. Speaking of 
cranking it so loud because it's such a fun thing. We have a movie to talk about here. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> but I think that needs, needs to be played loud because it's probably got the same energy as this EP, I would say. Oh, big time. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, man. I was going just fucking hog <laughs> the fuck wild after watching this movie just really rampaging around my fucking apartment throwing some axes in my backyard, <laughs> you know, wow. doing really manly shit after watching the very movie cool. this week. <laughs> very tough yeah. and strong. Yeah, very cool, very uh, very scary of you, Mason. Uh, <laughs> today's movie, I can't believe we still have a movie to talk about on this, but uh, the movie today, of course, of course, <laughs> of course. 2004's Jonathan Glazer's Birth, all right? Birth. Birth. <laughs> Claps. <laughs> Nina, <laughs> you're laughing, but you picked this. <laughs> so, what's the deal here? What? What? How did you come across this movie? What's your relationship to Birth, directed um, by Jonathan Glazer? So, my manager, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm writing this feature, and so he'll send me comps during development to watch. And yeah. he he's like an encyclopedia. He'll never admit it. And I've told him this before. And he's like, I don't know movies. And I'm like, you literally have seen everything. And he'll send me a list of comps, but he sends so many that I'm, I'm like, when am I going to watch all these comps? But he was like, you have to watch this movie birth. You, you have to watch it. It's, it's critical to kind Damn. of the premise of what you're writing. And I was like, okay, here's the thing with, that's really fun about birth. And if you consider watching it, um, watch it cold. Don't read anything about it. Just go into it and just like, yeah, get ready to sit down into it. Now, are we on a podcast where we talk about a movie that we haven't seen and we try to amp it up so people watch it? Of course we are. So we're going to talk about it. But like <laughs> I, my friend, Phil Vernon, who you guys, who you know, yep. no, you know, of course mm-hmm. I do this thing called Sunday service at my house. Uh, and I did it a lot before quarantine where I would just have friends come over on Sundays to watch movies and um, I loved it, and I had him come over a few weeks ago, or maybe over a month ago. I hadn't seen him in a while. I was like, let's just, let's watch a movie. I have to watch a movie for, you know, um, this comp. Here are the options. 13 going on 30, 17 again, <laughs> or the movie Birth by John <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. And... And wow. he was that's it, quite you know, the that's quite the triple feature there. That's quite the new Beverly uh screening series we got. I will yeah. give you five hundred dollars to guess the movie I'm writing right now. It's, it is so <laughs> all over the place and like they all kind of intersect in this fucked up way, but um these were the comps that I was getting from my manager. He's like, These are the movies you have to watch. I was like, This is crazy. So I, you know, Phil, Phil is a film boy and he's very, you know, uh, well read. And so, you know, he very politely was like, I don't really want to watch Zac Efron in a second basketball movie. I don't want to watch, you know, 13 going on 30. I've seen it. Let's watch birth. And I was like, okay, I don't know anything about it. He's like, I don't know anything either. And we sat and like white knuckled (laughs) our way through this movie the whole time. And by the time it was over, we just, cause it's, so bizarre because we, we couldn't talk about it in the way that you can talk about like a movie like Ma where you're watching it and you're like, okay, this is, this is crazy, right? Yeah, exactly. Like kooky. This is like so <laughs> unnerving and like upsetting and confusing that we couldn't like look at each other until it was over. And then when it was over, we were like, what did we just watch? Like it was uh, such a, 
a thrill that I haven't had watching a movie in a long time where I just, I didn't know what was going to happen. I couldn't predict what was going to happen. If the kid was going to die, yeah. if he was li- like, I had no idea where they were going to go with it. So I really had a fun time watching it. I cannot wait to hear what... I can't believe I made you guys watch this movie because it's so absurd. I'm so happy you made us watch this, uh, truly. Uh. Phil Phil uh, liked my little Letterboxd review because whenever I... I've, I've more recently, I think maybe like 15 shows ago, I started just being like, whatever movie we have to watch, I'm not going to rate it. I'm not going to say anything about it other than this is the movie coming up on the show, I'm Allergic to Dogs by Remy Wolf and Birth... Oh. Uh, directed by Jonathan Glazer with special guest blank and all you know of course Nina Kramer and Phil just gave it a big old like and I saw that he really liked the movie and I was like okay uh, here we go we're about to talk about birth directed by Jonathan Glazer are you a Jonathan Glazer guy like have you seen under the skin or sexy beast or is this your first toe in the water no this is my cherry I have not watched a single one but I know I'm behind and this is kind of my issue is like um like I've seen a lot of movies, but I haven't seen a lot of like uh, the classics and not the classics. Sure. I've seen the fucking classics, right. but like when it comes to like kind of avant-garde film, I watch more like South American movies or like uh, European sure. movies or whatever. Like that's kind of the direction I go. American avant-garde, like even Soderbergh, like I don't really watch that. Oh, you didn't you didn't like High Flying Bird with the fucking iPhone ro- running around I, killing Andre Holland? Yeah, my my manager and I cannot agree on this. I fucking watched The Limey when I was in college, and I hate oh. that movie so much. I hate it so much. You tell him I I'm coming. It. You tell him I'm fucking coming. I wow. like that movie a lot. I hate it so much. I would probably like it now, but at That's the time, the- I was furious at this movie. I don't know what it was. It made me so angry, but I was like, hey, I viscerally hate this movie. Whoa. Got the same feeling watching A Walk to Remember. Different films, same feeling. <laughs> <laughs> different strokes for different folks, I guess. Uh, yeah, Terrence Stamp is oddly also trying to avenge his daughter's death in A Walk to Remember. That's a subplot in that movie that nobody really talks about. Yeah, it's kind of the secret hidden little plot. You have to do the Konami code and like stand on your head if you want to unlock that subplot. Uh, Mason. I know yeah. you're a little bit of a Jonathan Glazer boy, so what's your relationship to Jonathan Glazer? I, un, un poquito, honestly. Like, I saw Sexy Beast in high school because it was, like, for whatever reason, in, like, the kind of film stuff that I was reading, that movie was coming up a lot, and eventually mm-hmm. I was like, I just have to sit down and watch Sexy Beast, and I don't think it really clicked for me at the time what that was up to. I think the big thing was also Ben Kingsley's performance. I was just, like, kind of mm-hmm. locked into Ben Kingsley's performance in that yeah. movie. And I wasn't really paying attention to the rest of the, the thing, and I didn't quite, you know, quote-unquote, get it. Right. Um, did not see Under the Skin. I remember that being a uh, very polarizing movie when it came out, and I just elected to stay out of the conversation with that completely. have still never seen Under the Skin. Uh, have not watched a Jonathan Glazer project, except for his short film from either this year or the year before called The Fall. Uh, which is this like four minute short film. Um, it's very frightening. It was on movie for a spell. Um, and that I was really impressed with. But this movie, I think I've talked on the show a couple times about how I love how I was a trailer kid, how I just liked watching trailers um, for movies on apple.com slash trailers. 
on the Apple website, they would post like just all the movie trailers from all the studios. And when this movie was coming out, I feel like they might have had a New Line specific section. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Because um, I forgot this was a New Line movie uh, until like it came up during like the kind of pre-credits. Uh, and I watched it, I'm like, oh, that's the studio that made Lord of the Rings. So this is going to be interesting. And I watched the trailer for this and I'm like t- 10, 11, uh, if that. And I'm just like... You're pissed off. <laughs> You're like, I don't know pissed. what's going on here. And then uh, I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. And then I remember when it came out in October of that year, uh, or roughly around Christmas time, maybe, that it caused a bit of a a stir, a bit of a, contro- a controversy, yeah. uh, even though my boy Roger Ebert really liked it a lot. And it was completely off my list. I would see it pop up here and there. I definitely remember the... Um, the Nicole Kidman poster because I feel oh, yeah. like that Nicole Kidman that's very specific Nicole Kidman look was on a lot of posters at that time. She so had it just like like kind of just yeah, hundred percent. I should tell people I so got that this haircut. Floated in and out of my like. I should tell people I got this haircut because I watched <laughs> Birth. <laughs> that's fun for me. And they'll just be like, "Okay, very cool. Yeah. You and I are." <laughs> We're done. <laughs> We're done talking. <laughs> bye bye. Uh, but I had it had been off my radar, even though it had been on my list for oh. a couple years, just because it did. Rem- it did uh, make that trailer and that the plot of the movie did make an impression on me. Um, Do we want to so tell the plot for a long time? Friend of the show. Uh, maybe after we talk about our initial impressions, sure. Sure, and then sure. we could do like a kind of, you know. Pause the cur- pause the show, go watch it, come back kind of thing. If you folks, yeah, oh, for sure. Oh, gotcha, 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 gotcha. Yes, yeah, um, yeah. So, I remember watching Under the Skin in high school, uh, with my weird friend. Uh, that's crazy. That was a high school movie for you. Uh, yeah, keep going. <laughs> makes you really sad because you're um, older than me. Uh, but I'm you uh, listen just because I've said this joke before. I'm going to say it again. Just because you are a millennial and I'm a millennial Gen Z cusp, me too. We cannot get along. You say that wait, too. Really? Yes, of course. I, 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 wait, when, how old are you? <laughs> how old are you, Nita? I'm 23, bitch. Are you? Yes. That's, I'm that's, 23. That's, are you uh, kidding me? Uh, yeah, dude. Sorry. <laughs> I've always thought you were like Nina was hanging out with me. I'm pretty sure when she was a straight up teenager, which is just I was I was like 17 in your house. You were you were in my you were 17 when when I met you and you came to that that my I was 17. Damn, I had no idea you were that quite that young. Uh, Hell yeah! For the audience at home, no no hanky panky, nothing weird happened. It's just like my idea of how old Nina Kramer was was uh, literally older than a teenager the first time that I met her. So this is just <laughs> I yeah, wasn't even I legal. Thought, I thought you were. I thought you were at least like twenty four or twenty five, like at least. Which in my head is like, oh, you're like way older than me. Which oh, is not. dude, I you know this is very shit. pertinent to the discussion of birth. Now that I'm talking about, it, now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I watched, uh, you're very right, Mason. That's crazy. <laughs> that 17 year old Nina shows up and you're like, whoa, what? My friend. <laughs> um, but I watched under the skin with my weird friend, uh, who I don't talk to anymore. Kind of an asshole. Um, watched it in his house, loved it. Thought it was really cool. Legitimately. He literally said to me, watch this movie, but don't pay attention to anything that anybody says. Cause he had seen it already. And I was like, oh, okay. Okay. And then I did, and I was like, this is one of the most like spellbinding little experiences mm-hmm. that I had had up until that point in my life. There's literally such a cool scene where she's in like this like 
void room and there's just like this goop that she like gets submerged under. She like walks into the goop and it's relatively iconic now. But at the time I was like, holy shit, this uh, is making me excited as a 16 year old boy <laughs> watching Scarlett Johansson descend into the black goop in the void room. I was like, yes, please. I'll take three more <laughs> of that. And so I was like, that's very cool. So I have, of course I had to watch Sexy Beast because my friend, my weird friend who I watched this movie was like, this movie's so cool. Ben Kingsley says the C word <laughs> in it. And I was like, Whoa. well, of course I got to watch it. So I did. And I just remember Ben Kingsley's performance. I literally don't remember anything else about the movie, similar to you, Mason. Uh, and Birth was just always one of those movies where I'm like, yeah, eventually I'll get around to watching that. It wasn't high a priority for me at the time, but it was like on my list, of course. And so, uh, Nina, you killed two burns with one stone on this one. You got this one off North Mason and I's list. Um, this movie is fucked up. It's <laughs> <I love laughs> a fucked up movie. So, uh, All right, so this is where we're going to say the spoilers begin. Uh, if you are interested in seeing a fucked up experience, pause the movie, come back. Uh, but spoilers from here on out, there just needs to be an open discussion. I am not interested in, in mincing words about mm-hmm. this movie. Mm-hmm. No, it's <laughs> because you, you know can't what? really talk about it without spoiling it in some and way. And I uh, want to say this ahead of time. This is the only time where I have watched a movie twice for the podcast. No I watched kidding. it once. And then right before we recorded, I'm like, I need to experience this again. And so I watched it again. So let Whoa. that be let that be the last word on this. If you're interested in watching this. Mm-hmm. And, if you're, this and if you're a, a stan ahead of this show, if you're in it's on the list head, you know, Mason is a notorious liar about how many times he listens to <laughs> albums prior to the show. Yeah. So, you know, when he says he watched the movie twice, he means it. Like I li- I'm feeling the energy <laughs> radiating off this zoom right now. It's also, uh, it's also one of those movies that is such an impressionable first watch that like if you know that's why i'm like watch it cold you can only watch it cold once once you've seen birth yeah you've seen it and you can't not watch it for the first time again you can't watch it for the first time again and that is like such a special experience so if you do want to watch it go watch it before you hear what it's about Nina, because you are our guest, what is the first thing you'd like to talk about in, in relation to this movie? Uh, you do the honors. I am obsessed with this premise. It is so simple. And with grief, I mean, I think about this a lot where I'm like, oh my God, what would I do? It's one of those movies where I'm like, what would I do in this situation? If I was married to somebody or right. someone I loved, uh, you know, manifested as somebody else and came knocking on the door and was like, I'm Sean, I'm your husband. You can't marry this guy. There's a part of you that has hope that's like, I mean, the planet is a weird place to begin with. So you're like, how does this kid know this shit? Where does this come from? Like, what was the box from the beginning? Like, not to be super spoiler about it, but like, how did I was just so excited to see how everything was going to come together because I truly and when you're Mm -hmm. you know when you work in film and you're a writer or whatever you start to kind of recognize patterns and tropes and act breaks and this and that with this movie I didn't know it was going to happen and quite honestly Phil and I talked about this this is a movie I want to remake like dead ass (laughs) I want to remake this movie 
Um, but I, I so badly wanted to go even further. Like, I think at the end of it, it was a very tasteful movie, but like, it was, it was very like, um, 2004, like it was America, like trying to be, um, European about their content. Like where they're like, well, we can also be kind of, we can also have a kid in a tub with, with Natalie or, you know, uh, Nicole Kidman. We can, we can do that too. Yeah. And, um, but Phil and I were talking about it and we were like, I wish they pushed it fucking further. I wish she killed herself. Yeah. I wish that, you know, oh my goodness. Uh, I wish that they tried to kill the kid. I wish that, you know, the husband killed himself. Like, I just was like, there's so many ways to heighten this to like, like all windows in the houses are smashed kind of way that they don't. And Phil and I were kidding uh, once this was over. And I was like, holy shit, like, I could just picture this kid who in the movie is like 10, maybe being like 18 and like with friends that he's like at a university or whatever. And they're like, yeah, like, so do you guys like have any hometown drama? And I can totally see this kid being like, yeah, yeah, this one time I like knocked on my neighbor's door and I like told her I was her husband and she totally believed it and then went absolutely insane. And it's like, (laughs) I'm not your husband. Like, are you out of your mind? Like I can see this little shithead kid doing this and no one following up with like, okay, what happened to that woman? Like, this just being something crazy that happened in his past, but that he's, like, you know, complicit with this massive breakdown of this woman, but no one's ever going to ask him about it. I was like, oh, this kid is at this weird, impressionable age where he might forget a lot of the things that he did, and it might not live with him, but it's going to live with her in this, like, really unique kind of terrible way that I wish they pushed that even further, where the kid didn't really have the wherewithal to realize what his effect on this person's life was going to be. So you could just kind of, you know, heighten it to an extreme to kind of destroy um, Nicole Kidman's character. Whereas in the end of this film, it kind of just resolves itself um, in in a way where, you know, he kind of admits and you kind of find out about the letters, but, um, or does she never find out? I don't think she ever finds out about the letters. I think that yeah, that's right. the, what's so, um, what I like about the ending so much is that there is so much that's unresolved that it's just going to have to be like, you know, with, when Sean appears and is like, I'm your husband, she grief is such a, um, grief is such a, um, deep and confusing emotion. And I feel like a lot of times when people are grieving, um, they really are. It's it's the, the the confusion of the experience is what's is what's really the difficult thing to grasp grapple, and they're looking for answers. And here she Nicole Kidman's character is presented with an answer, yeah. um, for the grief that's like you know my husband, who I love, is not actually dead. Like he's this little boy. We can make it work, um, and unbeknownst to her, there's still like he. Just in Nicole Kidman's world, she comes up with this brilliant idea that for them to live together. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, I was lying the entire time. And she has no, uh, she, she doesn't understand why he suddenly took everything back and it completely yeah. destroys her. And she doesn't know why. And the, and what I love also is that in that act of not disclosing the full truth is also itself an act of love. Um, and we could probably get into that a little later, but I, I personally love how nothing in this movie, like so much does get like resolved on a plot level, 
but you're left with Nicole Kidman basically crying on the beach um, at the end of it because like yeah. s- still nothing makes sense, which which I really I really love. And that's uh, exactly yeah. what I was about to say as well because I actually kind of have to disagree with you, Nina, in the Hit sense me. that I don't want it to be pushed further than it was because of how it ends. I want, I think it is exactly understated enough because of how it ends because Nicole Kidman is doing something very challenging. I think Mm -hmm. with her performance Mm -hmm. in this, because when, as soon as she finds out that this kid is coming into her life saying, I am your dead husband of 10 years. I'm Sean. She is playing that she believes it immediately and she has to convince herself rationally through the rest of the movie that this actually is what it is. Because when you are looking at her face in that movie, she believes it. She believes it 100% from the get-go because she still misses him. Kudos to Jonathan Glazer and cinematographer Harris uh, Savides for just really getting their money's fucking worth out of Nicole Kidman's face yeah. in this movie. She is like straight up one of the most photogenic, beautiful people of all time. And especially in this period in her career, she was just like firing on all cylinders. Oh, like yeah. She was really getting, she was just, she's such an incredible actress who I, I, I admire so much. Uh, and I think you're absolutely right, Noah, that like, her performance in this is so good because she believes it. And I don't know if it's in the script that she's repeating herself a lot or if it's a trick Mm -hmm. of the acting or of the editing even, but she spends so much time in this or so much of her dialogue and her lines in this movie. She's either repeating what somebody else has said and inflecting it slightly Mm -hmm. different or repeating what she is saying. Um, I don't quite have a read on that behavior. I just thought it was notable. So do you guys like have like, what's, what's your guys read on that? Like, why do you think that she's the, the character of Anna is repeating herself so much in this movie? Go for oh, it. Oh, I think she's convincing herself. I think she's also just like trying to affirm her belief. Cause I'm with, you Noah. like, I mean, th- he does so many wonderful things in this movie and casting is like, so good throughout this whole movie her like soon to be husband is like the fucking worst i'm like i love danny houston (laughs) he's insanely well casted and i think uh, natalie why nicole kidman is also so well cast and i think she does that repetition because of what noah said before which is when she when you see her and this all starts to happen for the first time you see her start to believe it, but I think she knows that it's a crazy thing to believe that a 10-year-old is her totally. husband. So I think the repetition is is very medita- premeditated in that I, I think it's just her character speaking out loud the context of the scene so she can be like, this is the information that I have. This is what I believe. This is what is happening. I think she's having like a psychological break in the simulation where she's like i don't know what to believe so i'm just gonna keep repeating the basic information that i can see happening right in front of me and that will be the truth and it's it is such a whether it is an acting choice or a script choice i don't i don't know but if it isn't if it's an acting choice it's a a supreme choice to make just to constantly be repeating under your breath 
it's so that's a, such an elevated choice. One hundred percent. It is crazy to think that Christina Applegate almost played this role instead of <sighs> Nicole Kidman. Whoa! <laughs> but instead, she decides to go with a little movie called Whoa. Anchorman. Oh instead. my god! Wow! And you know what? <laughs> Nicole Kidman was up for Anchorman. It's very strange <laughs> how that worked out. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Very different movies on both fronts. Honestly, they got it right. Like, history, like, proved oh, to yeah. prevail in yeah, that yeah, sense. Yeah. Christina Applegate, amazing performance in Anchorman. Yes. Like, actually, like, a great comic foil to Will Ferrell in that movie. She's got insane chops. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Nicole Kidman is doing the, as Mason likes to, this is actually a very Mason thing to say, Nicole Kidman is doing the most in this movie. <laughs> That's such a Mason thing to say. Holy, sh- holy shit. We're same twins, me. Uh, what else about this? God, I mean, Jonathan Glazer is pulling out all the little tricks too. That scene where they're going to the orchestra or the opera or whatever it is. Oh my and God. you just watch them take their seat. You are on Nicole Kidman's face. I looked this up for two minutes, Mm -hmm. just watching her face Mm -hmm. change. And I think that's the scene where if you weren't sure if she believes it, then you believe it now. And that was like Kubrick. That was like the second coming of Kubrick. It felt like it was like a holy shit, like, you know, spine tingling moment. I thought at least Mm -hmm. there is. Yeah. I like that you said Kubrick because there is a control to just the way that information is displayed in terms of like, just, just as terms of images. Um, I feel like you could watch this movie. You wouldn't get like, I think the details of the plot, but you could watch this movie um, just with the, which the soundtracks mostly silent. And I think that you would get like the kind of emotional gist of it. Yeah. Um, because I think the images, uh, it, Jonathan Glazer comes from a music video and advertising background, I believe in mm-hmm. England. Yes. Um, and he know really, even with the fall, this four minute movie that I, this four minute short that he put out, which I, if you sh- folks should really try to track that down. Um, cause he is able to, um, in the span of like literal seconds, um, inform tone and location mm-hmm. and there's rarely a and just character and and sort of ritual and all these things that other movies and lesser directors spend like kind of minutes setting up he does in like seconds just because he knows how well to um set up an image and there's some really astonishing camera work in here and mm-hmm. just directing um even from the from the jump like right mm-hmm. after you have the kind of the titles come up uh, and you hear uh, Sean, um, dead Sean, uh, talk at the, the lecture or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on the run. And there's just that three-minute unbroken take of him running through mm-hmm. Central Park in the snow. Um, and then uh, all of a sudden the title comes up and you see the tunnel. And he enters the tunnel and it's just like encroaching darkness, basically just like swallowing him. So it's not only that he's dying, but that at the same time, a child is being born and coming in like through the birth canal and coming into life. Basically, uh, really cool (laughs) shit. You love to see it. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Nina, anything else? (laughs) (laughs) I really, I, I just like, cause I agree with you guys. I think it's, it's, it's like a perfect movie in the way that it ends. I just like love chaos and want to see <laughs> the full extent of this chaos unfold in like a, an unhinged way. But I I do agree with you guys that it, it ends in a very a tasteful way where you're like, oh, I'm 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 satisfied. I was satisfied by the end of the movie. I just like want to see shit go crazy. 
But I remember, I mean, of course, and we have to talk about this scene because it's like the iconic scene of the film. Yes, exactly. Um, I mean, the bathtub scene. I remember watching this and like clutching my pearls and being like, are we about to see a 10-year-old boy get in a bathtub? Yep. And and it's that feeling the whole time we were like, oh, he's getting closer and now he's in the bathtub and he's naked. Like, it, if it was like, it's so funny because if it was a French film, I'd be like, of course, like, yes, the French, they're so daring. Like, they've always been so daring. <laughs> but to watch an American film where I'm like, this is not going to do well theatrically. Like, <laughs> this is not going to do well. It was so... That was the... That was yeah, the that was the that was the big thing that I remember from the sort of critical discussion around this movie at the time. And that was the thing that like kind of loomed in my memory as I was yeah. watching the movie is the bathtub scene that had unfortunately been spoiled for me ahead of time. I, I kind uh. of been primed to watch out for that, but I got to say it's fucking weird. Even if you know, it's coming, fucking it's weird. Still, it's so yeah. well directed though. And it's so, that's that- the thing. It's like, that's what is so, uh, that scene is like, it's, it's like 5% tender, but you're also like with this movie, what I think is so interesting about it just tonally is like, you're watching it for the first time and you think that it's this kind of like magic realism fantasy, but there's these like very tense, um, very tense, very dramatic scenes that kind of, Mm um, almost inject reality into the fantasy. Like, you know, it's not like the other thing where they're putting fantasy into the reality. It's like. And this is why I think I needed to watch this movie twice to really like kind of get the full birth experience. If you want to, mm-hmm. if you want to say this, because knowing the kind of like secret of the movie, uh, and then rewatching it, you're watching it. You're like, oh, this is just a movie about, like, kind of mutually accepted delusion, basically. Like two very sick, lonely people buying into this, this, like legitimate fantasy, like this this impossibility because they have nothing, they are like just so lonely and broken that they have like, in order to survive, they buy into this with each other. And it makes the movie so much sadder uh, in a way. Uh, Noe, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, this movie would not be half the movie that it is without one of the best scores I've ever heard yeah. in my entire life by yeah, Alexander Desplat. Desplat yeah, did yeah. it, dude. Desplat <laughs> fucking did it. He did. It is... I mean, if you guys like that, that you have to watch Under the Skin because it just is more glazery. I don't think Desplat did the score for Under the Skin. No, that like, was Michael Levi, I believe. You're, yes, it was Michael Levi. And it's just cranked up to 11 with the weirdness. But in this... It just so emotional, so epic, so orchestral, just pushes everything just over the edge because of how understated the direction and the writing and the performances are. That is the magic sauce. It's that understatedness of the direction with the just exuberance of the score. Just amazing. I literally went back and watched scenes. Now, I didn't do a full rewatch of the movie, but I went back and watched scenes just so that I could listen to the score over yeah. those images. Like, holy shit. And the, the weird thing is about Alexander Desplat is that a lot of his composers need a lot of time to do their composing. But I read 
that he can do a full score of a movie in days. And what? I don't know how that's possible. God damn. Because if you look at his uh, IMDb, I'm, I'll, look, I'll pull it up while you guys are talking. And there's certain years where he was able to literally do like six movies or something Didn't like that. Didn't he do like the last bunch of Harry Potter movies too? Wasn't he the yes. guy that did the score for the last bunch of Harry Potter movies? Yes, he uh, I, he's been Wes Anderson's guy since Fantastic Mr. Fox, which is like if I had to choose my favorite this plot score that I'm like really familiar with and it wasn't birth, uh, it would be the, the Fantastic Mr. Fox score because that score fucking slaps city. Yes, uh, I had no idea that that explains why he's so prolific is he's just like uh, a master Versatile. of the orchestra. Yeah, here's his here's his 2011. Are you ready for this? Absolutely. Some of these I've never heard of, but just Mason, will you count them out? Uh, how many we have here? Of course. The Burma Conspiracy. One. The Personal Diaries. Two. The Well Digger's Daughter. Three. The Tree of Life. Four. Oh, hey, there we a, go. A Better Life. Five. <laughs> Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two. Oh boy, six. The Ides of March. Whoa. Seven. Wow, he did the score for that too. Carnage, which is great. That's a great movie. That is based on the Yasmina Riza play, God of Carnage. That is a Eight. really good movie. Roman Polanski, a film one more. Maybe don't count that one. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, whatever the next number is. And to end it off, he, um, he, this is the last movie he does in 2011. Extremely loud and incredibly close. That's what he wow. ended his year on. How many is that? Maybe that's nine or ten? That's eight ten. or nine, uh, not including the uh, Roman Polanski movie that we said we weren't going to include. Uh, crazy. Dude, Think about dude, that. That's, I, I, can't, uh, I can't get my head around that. That's uh, a lot of work. I'm, 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 imp I'm very impressed. Nina, do you have a favorite Desplot score off the top of your head? Or could you pull one out or no? Yeah, I could. I, uh, Shape of, I really like Shape of Water. Yeah, that um, one's pretty amazing. I really like the yeah. score for oh, that. Yeah. I said, I think the I, score for Shape of Water did a lot of the heavy lifting on that movie for me personally. I would agree. I think it's a fine movie, but Whoa. the score is so good. <laughs> I love And the performance Whoa. by uh, Sally Hawkins is pretty cool. Like, I think that's a very hard role to take on. But, um, and I think he built mm -hmm. a fun world, but overall, because what did it go against that year? It was a big, um, Oh, boy, it was like, uh, it was three billboards was the big one it was up against. Um, and then it was... Wasn't it Get Out? Was Get right Out one now. of them? Yes, Get Out Could was also be. that year. Yeah. What else do we... I don't know what else. Oh, Lady year. Bird. I'm pretty yeah. sure that was Lady Bird as well. Yeah. 2017. I gotta be honest with you guys. I really like Shape of Water. I think it's cool. I cried. It was, I was fun. crying during Shape of Water. I thought it was nice. I thought it was uh, a call great me by your take. name. Oh, call it was me up by against your Phantom name. Thre Phantom Thread as well was another Best Picture nominee that year, which is uh, interesting to think about. That movie yeah. nominated for Best Picture. I think. I think. You know what's kind of interesting? I'm sorry, Nina. I didn't mean to. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Continue. No, no, no. I fully forgot what I was going to say. Okay. I feel like you're lying to me, but in the best possible I way. I don't remember. <laughs> I told you my memory the, was bad. It goes like that. If I'm like, oh, attention goes somewhere else, it's gone. Is so, that is so scary. Uh, <laughs> for, for me, it's great. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I got to be honest, I was also uh, spoiled. The bathtub scene had also been somewhat spoiled for <gasps> me, similar to Mason. And I got to be honest with you, maybe it's because it was spoiled. I didn't think it was like all that crazy. And maybe it's because in 2020, like, 
I wanted to see like some yeah. wilder shit. And maybe yeah. if this movie had been made closer to 2020, we would see it in a much more wild, raw, just absolutely bonkers way. But I just was so, maybe, and it probably is because it was spoiled for me, but I was just like, okay, you know, he's in the bathtub with her. That's weird. But it wasn't like a holy shit moment. And Nicole Kidman actually went on record saying that she believes she said, Hey, this is one of her, favorite performances of any movie that she's ever done and one of her favorite movies that that. she's ever done. And I always get this movie mixed up with Rabbit Hole as well, which is a John Cameron Mm -hmm. Mitchell film, also about death and grief, uh, which I haven't seen. But she also went on to say that she thinks the movie got marred because Mm -hmm. of the bathtub scene, because it was 2004, that people just sort of knew it from that reputation and were like, I'm not going to give this a shot. I'm not really like willing to see this. And that I think speaks more to American audiences in 2004. It was the Bush era, you know, things were a little bit more conservative. Things were a little bit more, uh, tight lipped, I guess, for lack of a better term, a little bit more stuffy button up. So I think that has a lot to do with the fact that people didn't want to give this one a shot. It is also pretty avant-garde for an American film. So I don't know, but the bathtub scene, yeah. Well, I was like, this is this is not crazy. This is like weird, but it's not crazy. I don't know. That's in my own. Time. I think, but I'm with you. No, I think the reason I found it so crazy is because of having the context that it was 2004. It wasn't like if if this movie had come out this year, to your to the same point that you just made, it wouldn't throw me because I'm like, I see crazy shit all the time now. Like sure. we're so desensitized to everything. But I think watching a movie and being like, this is so clearly made in the early 2000s when, like, politics, again, were much more conservative. You know, we hadn't entered the Obama era. We hadn't entered kind of this uh, whatever, however you want to phrase a progressive movement. But it was kind of post-9-11. I was just, like, thinking of the, like, the audiences at that time going into the theater and watching this scene unfold and being like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Like, oh, not knowing what to do. Should I leave? Should well, I watch this? Movie, this? I, <laughs> I was reading this movie does have, uh, the, the, the notable, uh, it's in the notable, uh, club, which is, uh, booed at can. Uh, this is booed <gasps> at the can film festival in 2004. Uh, um, which Jonathan Glazer, I think was actually pretty impressed with and pretty, and, and liked a lot. He said that it's like, you know, a polarizing film. That's kind of what he was expecting, but yeah. I, I love, I've never been to Cannes, but I really want to go just to experience the booing at the screen that seems to be a pretty, like, common occurrence for anything that is, like, remotely polarizing. Uh, and you could definitely see it with this movie here. I just love the idea of a bunch of drunk French people watching this, like, <laughs> this, this dark, this dark, uh, this dark drama about grief and um, uh, emotional, like, kind of repression um, and, uh, the, the, the lack of control you feel sometimes mm-hmm. when you are very deep in your grief, uh, with a little boy in a bathtub with a grown woman, and then just being so fucking slosh, you just boo once, uh, the credits start rolling. I think that's a pretty cool thing. Well, it's so silly because it's like everything it can either gets booed like rabbit, ra- or not with rabbit hole, sorry, fuck, I messed it up again. Like birth, not rabbit hole. Everything either gets booed or you're the Joker and you get a 10 minute standing ovation. <laughs> so there's no like in between and it's like, yeah, it's, it's can, you know, they're French, whatever. So, you know, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but you know, I feel like it's a pretty 
polarizing place. You're either getting a 10 minute standing ovation, which Parasite apparently got a huge standing ovation, yeah. which obviously super well yeah, deserved. Yeah. One of the best m- movies to be released in modern uh, memory. But uh, Cam, take it with a grain of salt. Uh, one of my best friends studied abroad there and he hated it. So that's what I have to say about that. Back to birth then. Let's get back to birth. <laughs> Uh, here's some more people in the cast which we have not mentioned but I think are worthy of um, recognition. We got Lauren Bacall. Yeah. We got uh, we got Ted Levine. Yeah. Buffalo fucking Bill Buffalo himself. Bill just in this movie in such a small role. Yeah. Such a small role. Uh, regardless of what about Sean. Uh, we got <laughs> Anne Heche as um, Clara who is uh, we who. Is the woman at the beginning who uh, leaves yes. to get a ribbon, then buries the box, and then we find out a secret about her later that really blows the whole movie wide open. And her husband so is good. played by Peter Stormare. <laughs> Fucking <laughs> yep. Peter Stormare is in this movie, which I only knew this movie as uh, it had Nicole Kidman, it had that kid in it, Cameron Bright, who I think does a pretty a very good job of this oh, movie. Oh, he is so good. Yeah, and once the movie starts and you see Danny Houston, I'm like, okay, Danny Houston in this, that kind of makes sense. And then like the next like new face you see is Peter Stormare. I'm like, yeah, we're rocking and rolling, baby. This is the good shit. I'm, I'm, I'm p- picking up whatever you're putting down, Jonathan Glazer. Let's fucking go here. <laughs> so fun. It is crazy to see such a unique ensemble thrown together uh, in such a unique premise for such a unique film. It is insane that Peter Stormare Ted Levine and Lauren Bacall are all supporting in this movie when they could easily all be the lead or like second lead in their mm-hmm. own movie. And yet Nicole Kidman and Cameron Bright are just roping us along. Who's your favorite performance in this movie, Nina? I think the kid is so good. I think that is such a, I mean, maybe not my favorite performance. I think the, um, my favorite performance is the, new husband like the i can't think of the name of the actor off the top of my head um but the man that nicole kidman is gonna marry yeah i he is so perfect in that role and he's so squeamish and annoying like but plays you know teeters on this line that is like again so human and so understandable like in that scene when he's once he wants to strangle the kid i was like of course this is gonna happen at some point but it's just like you're such a pathetic fucking guy but I also like would I would feel so I would assume someone would feel so emasculated in that moment of like, is my wife gonna leave me for a ten year old? Like, holy shit. Um Yeah. So, so I think his performance is great. Nicole Kidman is epic, like epic in this movie. Kid is really, really good. Um, what was the thing I was gonna br- I Oh, I forget what I was gonna say. I think it was something about the premise of just like I just also admire how simple this premise is and i think it's a testament to how strong of an idea it is because it is just okay what would happen if your husband died and someone showed up and said they were your husband in a different body like it's i live for premises like that that are just a little left of center where you have to kind of break the world you're in to kind of check your reality like i am obsessed with (laughs) this movie well is there anything else anyone really has to say before we get into sort of our wrap up things here for our Mercedes valuable player? And would you recommend um, this or not? Anything I would else, say Mace? also, yeah, just a quick shout out. Also, uh, the actor Kara Seymour, who plays Sean's mom, young Sean's mom, 
Very mm, small yes. performance in this movie, but I think she does a really tremendous job uh, with the with the limited time she is given of uh, making that character. She plays Amelia in adaptation. This actress, Kara Seymour. Yes, uh, she's in uh, American Psycho. I think as one of the girlfriend slash victims of Patrick Bateman. Um, hasn't been in. She's been in a lot of like stuff, especially around this time. She was in Hotel Rwanda. I'm seeing Gangs of oh. New York. But just like, um, this is the, the case with a lot of actors, uh, just kind of, oh, she was in The Nick, it looks like. She was in The Nick as Sister Harriet, but after that, hasn't done a lot of acting, so I don't know if that's just, she uh, retired or just uh, could not find work, but I think she does a really tremendous job in this movie, and that's Kara uh, Seymour. Uh, I'd also just want to quickly shout out the uh, editing team on this movie, because yeah. there were two editors and that, uh, the editing really stuck out to me, uh, just mm-hmm. how well this movie is put together, the, 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 con- the control of tone uh, and the pace here. That's Sam Sneed and Klaus Wellish, Wellish? the two credited editors here. Uh, that's just all I have to say. Last minute. Shout out uh, to mm-hmm. the color green. That's the only other thing I wanted to say. There's some beautiful greens in this yeah. movie. The color yeah. of the dining room uh, is a really beautiful green. And then there's another uh, wall, I believe, in maybe in the bedroom that is also green. Uh, I don't know if green is significant. Uh, maybe with spring and rebirth, maybe there's a little bit of yeah, uh, symbolism bulk, going on there. Yeah, the bulk of this movie takes place in winter. It's a very gray dismal movie and then you do get these flashes of green and color and you're just like holy shit like that's having lived in this in the winter in a in a winter city as chicago you mm-hmm. do get start to once the winter does come around uh you do start to appreciate the little flashes of color once you can see them inside yeah. absolutely uh i will go ahead and give my mercedes valuable player award to the one and only alexander desplat like i said uh, i think he gives this movie the oomph that it needs and perfectly juxtaposes the understatedness that jonathan glazer and the cast and the rest of the team are bringing and harry harry savides as well uh and really just gives it that extra oomph which do which does create a lot of the tension, that juxtaposition. Uh, Mason, who gets your Mercedes Valuable Player Award? Chef, you took my my Mercedes Valuable Player. I was going to do Alexandre Desplat as well, and particularly Damn. the, uh, I think it's the sort of Mr. Reincarnation motif, which is the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Yes. Beautiful. Beautiful. That particular yes, run when it shows up in the score, I, I've actually been re-listening to this score just like on Spotify, like just in the background while I'm like either working or mm-hmm. just like, you know, making food or something. It's such a, uh, it is a tremendous score. I think that this movie, the fantastic elements uh, and the kind of fantasy, um, when you watch this movie the first time, you think you're watching this sort of fantasy magic realism. And I think a big part of that is due to Alexandre Desplat's score. Yeah. And then when you're either re-listening to the uh, to the music or re-watching the movie, it just feels like such an integral part uh, of this movie in the way that a lot of really great scores are. Uh, I can't remember the last time I saw a movie that had like a score that I liked this much. And I'm really, uh, really, really, really excited that I have this in my life now. Nina, what is your Mercedes Valuable Player for this my movie? My MVP for this movie um, are... Nicole Kidman's it, it's Nicole Kidman's eye acting. That's the MVP for me. It's it's those long shaky eye moments and scenes where mm-hmm. 
you can see everything, every scenario, situation playing out in her mind, but she is just like a deer in the headlights and doesn't know how to react. That for me mm-hmm. is when I think of birth, that's what I think of. I think of her like panicked and like kind of looking around a room trying to buy herself time to figure out what the fuck to do. Um, and it just She is really very doe like in this movie, both super <laughs> doe like. Uh, yeah, I do love that's <laughs> I love how both um perfectly pointed her eyebrows are and just how like, mm-hmm. how how strong her contour game is. So mm-hmm. she just like has this really like intense uh upper eye area. Uh I I I think that's a great choice, Nina. Thank you. Yes, Nina. We we love we love not only choosing Nicole Kidman for this, but specifically the eye acting is a very uh <laughs> I just, no, you're the only one who could have said the eye acting, I feel like. So uh, thank you for that. Um, Mason, do you recommend Birth? I do, man. I thought I was going to waffle on this. I'm like, this is definitely an, a weird premise. It's not for everybody. This does get a recommend for me, bumping on a full recommend, just because I had to, like, I couldn't just come into this discussion just seeing this movie once. And I probably will watch this movie again in the foreseeable future um i don't often rewatch movies but this one feels a little different yeah this one gets a recommend for me um i can't i wish i could be like more enthusiastic about recommending it to everybody but this is definitely a, a, a premise and it's definitely a premise that you have to kind of be either primed for or willing to go along with so that's why it just gets a regular old recommend for me uh noah yeah, this is a conditional recommend, and it's because of what you just said. If you can buy into this premise, then you probably are going to love what you're about to see. Maybe not love, but you will be on the edge of your seat. Uh, whatever that whatever that term is for not being able to look away but hating what you're watching at the yeah. same time. Uh, so if you can buy into that premise, it's for you. And if you can't, I understand, actually, to be honest with you, because there yeah. were times during this where I thought, this premise is so fucking silly. And yeah. I just, there were times where I didn't buy it. Like there were times where I fell out of buying it, but in the end it won me over. So that's why I'm going to give it a conditional recommend. Cause if you can buy into the premise, I think you've got a movie that you're really going to feel some way about probably like, and if you can't don't waste your time, Nina, do you recommend this movie? I'm going to give this old flick a full recommend. If Hell yes, here's the thing. No one, there is no way to tell how someone will react to this movie. I think it has a lot to do with how you were raised and what you've seen (laughs) and what you're comfortable with. It is a miserably uncomfortable film, but I think it's so, it's achievement in being evocative in Jonathan Glazer's ability to be a provocateur in this kind of subtle way is worth watching and I would love to watch any kind of person sit down and try to watch this movie. Now, if we're being serious and I have to, like, really recommend a movie to a friend, it will be conditional. It will be like, okay, if I, like, want this person to, like, respect me or, like, I want them to watch a movie that they really like, right. I will I will be a little bit more careful. But I would love to watch literally anybody watch this movie. So cool. that oh, is yeah. the game too of yeah who am i gonna watch watch this movie mm-hmm. what was phil like during this i'm just curious for my own edification was he pretty quiet yeah we were silent the whole time we were sure. just like every once in a while we'd have a little bit of like a uh, 
peripheral side glance where we'd be like, what the fuck? but there was a moment because we were kind of going into this movie joking of like we'll watch this movie i don't know what it's about like don't blame me if it's bad and i think about halfway through the second act we turned to each other and went this is like really good right like this is like really (laughs) fun um so we had a great time and I'm, i'm sure phil uh will be more than happy to send you his uh take on birth by jonathan glazer from 2004 a relic of the past, a forgotten film that we need to dust off from the shelves. Genuinely is a great definition of like what I like doing on this podcast, because this is for all intents and purposes, a underrated film and just kind of an underseen movie. Like this is just a movie. I don't think a lot of people have seen. And if they have seen Jonathan Glazer movies, it's probably under the skin. Then sexy beast, then birth like you really got to be a Jonathan Glazer completionist to probably have made your way to this or a Nicole Kidman completionist so uh pretty much the definition of something that I like talking about on this show so it's also called birth like (laughs) yeah it is also the most cringe title ever so blunt so like upsetting off the bat that like I didn't want to watch it I was like, I don't want to watch a movie called Birth. Like, no, thank you. But anyway, I digress. This has been fun. Um, What other games do we play? What do we do from here? The only other game Uh, that we play is do you have anything you want to plug? ah. (laughs) This is the other game. Um, No shows. I would love to shout out the man who came up to me on the street the other day and was in a tizzy and said, you have no idea what's coming and then ran away. I don't know what was up oh there's there's it was horrifying um there's an artist named eloise that i have been really loving on recently i listened to the new dominic fike album i thought it was really fun um yeba is really good i don't even know i should have thought about this beforehand but you know i have an instagram that i'm not using actively a twitter i'm also not using (laughs) because i think it's poison and it is, is slowly killing yeah me. you've been pretty absent from uh social media that i can see like i mean i feel you and like social media right now is the death of everybody but i'm like yeah nina's been notably absent from social media well i and i you guys can include this or not but like i read a book at the beginning of this quarantine called so you've been publicly shamed uh, by John Ronson, who I feel like both of you guys would really, really like. He wrote Men Who Stare at Goats. He wrote oh, okay. Psychopath Test. He's really he wrote Okja with. Um, oh my god! What's his name? Oh wow! Uh, okay. What the fuck? I'm gonna get absolutely dragged. I'm gonna get canceled Bong for Bong this. Jun-ho. Bong Joon Ho. Oh my god! My career. Oh. Okay, <laughs> you're done. <laughs> <laughs> but so you've been publicly shamed is all about cancel culture and behaviors on the internet, and it was kind of one of those books I read, where I was like, oh, this is like an Advil like I think I'm taking an Advil and I accidentally take a red pill or like a blue pill where I'm like oh fuck like this has totally changed my mind on everything um damn and things I I had known but didn't really it felt like Truman stepping out of the Truman show and think realizing everyone thinks they're Truman and being like oh fuck like this is wow such an interesting world we're living in and I kind of want to be an observer I don't really want to be a participant um now, when it comes to activism and everything like that, that's that's a different story where, like, I'm doing my own things on my own time that I feel like are my ways of, of kind of contributing to everything. But, um, and I don't think there's one right way to do it or one, you know, wrong way to do it. But with social media, 
both Twitter and Instagram. I also think right now it's just a great opportunity to be like writing and, and kind of using the time to go within. I don't know if that's so hokey. I think it's trash, but I really... No, it's cool. Your, your I, boy's been doing a little bit of that as much as he can as well, and it's been pretty cool. Uh, I feel way better. Some, 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 yeah, it, you do feel better. Uh, yeah, so don't I, find Nina Kramer on Instagram or Face or Twitter. Uh, <laughs> check out those artists instead. But uh, yes. Nina, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. It's Boys, been so much fun you know you I love you. you. And it's you my so favorite. This on. has been such a nice break and. Like, I just feel I'm sitting in a beanbag chair right now and I feel so relaxed and good and, and full. And like, I've been chatting with friends that I, you know, like it feels, this feels good. It doesn't feel like, oh, we're on a Zoom. It's whatever. This was really, really lovely. So thanks for having me back. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming back. Uh, this was great. Mason, let's close out this show once let's and for all, baby. Fucking show. All right. You can get in contact with us. On uh, Twitter, we are on Twitter. Actually, we are on Twitter at it's on the list pod. On Instagram, it's on underscore the list. Facebook, everybody wants to the number two get on the list. Facebook.com slash that. Email the show, everybody wants to the number two get on the list at gmail.com. You can find me on Letterboxd or on my other podcast, The Bar and a Podcast About the Shield. You could also find me on Instagram at hotdogdebicki or at goodsky, T O N I T E. Good Sky Tonight. Um, if I have one sort of uh, a community activism, social justice thingy to plug this week, it would be The Love Fridge. Uh, it's a uh, community-based uh, free food thing uh, in Chicago. couple fridges set up for people to leave and take food. Um, some of them are open 24 hours. Some of them are not. If you go to thelovefridge.com, uh, they have more information there on where those locations are and how to set up your own love fridge if you are in Chicago and have access to a spare fridge. Uh, the other thing I want to plug, I watched a really incredible movie for free on YouTube um, called Pretend That You Love Me. And speaking of social media and the weird performativeness of that, it's a movie about um, turning your life into art and then what happens once the art ends. And that's really all I want to say about it. Uh, it's very souvenir core, so your mileage may vary on that. But I had a really rewarding time watching that movie. You can watch it for free. It's called Pretend That You Love Me. The director is Joel Haver, Haver but uh, you can find that there. Noah, uh, what's up with you this week? Where can the folks find you? Uh, just to add on to your community fridge, I believe I know that we have a uh, some, a lot of our base of listeners is in Los Angeles, California. I believe there's also a community fridge in Highland Park uh, in Los Angeles. So for those L.A. folks who listen to this show, uh, Highland Park, if you just Google Highland Park community fridge, you'll get some details on that as well as the Chicago folks who listen to this show. There's a community fridge in Chicago as well. Uh, you can find me. On Twitter and Instagram, but not as much because I'm also limiting my social media to one hour a day because it sucks. So and I know that the yeah. way I just said it sucks made me sound like a tumblerina, but um, <laughs> it does suck. So uh, I'm limiting myself to one hour a day, pretty much sticking to that pretty hard. So, uh, but you can find me on Instagram at Noah.Marger. That's Noah, D-O-T, Marger. You can find me on Twitter at Moa Narger, and you can follow me on Letterboxd, uh, Moa Narger there as well. Uh, you can watch YLG videos on Instagram and YouTube, your local government, or YLG.world with dot instead of a D-O-T. It's a period. 
You can listen to my other podcast, my favorite podcast, where I have people come on and talk about their favorite things. You will be able to listen to the Mason McGuire episode this week as well. He will be bringing on the list of his 10 favorite Jason Molina songs. So make sure to check that out. There's a little cross promotion going on there. Yeah, baby. Um, my little re- I actually do have a little recommendo this week. Oh, you can follow those on Instagram and Twitter as well. Uh, at it's uh, I always fuck this up at my fave pod on Twitter and at my favorite underscore podcast on Instagram. Follow there for a lot of things. I actually do put a lot of work into the social medias on those. So please throw a dog a bone. Nick knack patty whack his old man's <laughs> Rolling Stone. That's a Norm Macdonald joke for the kids out there because everyone loves Norm Macdonald who's on TikTok. Uh, I am kind of reading a book. It is by the guy who wrote BoJack Horseman, and it is called Someone Who Will Love You in All Your Damaged Glory. It is a book of short stories, and I'm liking it. And when I opened the book, I went, wow, this guy writes very similar to me. And that was very trippy to read because I had never read it or read him before. This was recommended to me by my friend Julia. Shout out to Julia. Uh, transcendent tragic comedy, pr- tragic comedy, prepared to be devastated and made whole again. Everyone's favorite publication, The AV Club. Uh, that's it. Another two-hour episode for you, folks. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I want to plug one thing. I want to plug one thing. Yes, Two things. Yes. My friend, because you guys mentioned letterbox, and my friend Sarah Linden has such a funny fucking letterbox. So her. Oh, wow. And then um, Elizabeth Gilbert. I've been watching a lot of, like, her TED Talks, and she has just this excellent TED Talk. I'm sure you guys have seen it on Creativity that I rewatched recently, that if you're in a creative rut or you're just, like, not feeling inspired... I rewatched it recently and I just love her kind of perspective on creativity. So I think it's, it's like your, it's called your elusive creative genius by Elizabeth Gilbert on Ted, uh, whatever Ted damn platform Ted. Your elusive creative Ted. Genius. <laughs> on the Ted app. Well, we always lo- I love a good Ted talk. So I'm definitely going yeah. to check that one out She's as great. well. Of course, ladies and gentlemen, once again, Nina Kramer, Nina, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, We'll see you next week. See you next week. Black Lives Matter, Black Trans Lives Matter. Yes. Save the post office. Abolish the funding, please. Everybody have a good uh, rest of your day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. This is nuts. It's been two hours. There he go, my baby never answers in the room. Steps outside or puts it on snooze. He just do whatever he do. Me and my baby used to wake up a little past noon. Now he's waking up too soon to get on the phone with you. Like, hello, hello, hello. How's my little lady in the New York snow? Yeah, he says, I love you, I love you loads. We got her certified gambler missing with me.
flour and coffee. You can put dirt in your pocket and take her across the country. If it ain't shit, then then what would you call it? Start flour and coffee. You can put dirt in your wallet and take her across the country. If you ain't shit, then then what should be calling? Like, hello, 